Oh, the torment bred in the race. The grinding scream of death. And the stroke that hits the vein. The hemorrhage none can staunch. The grief, the curse no man can bear. But there is a cure in the house. And not outside it, no. Not from others, but from them. Their bloody strife. We sing to you. Dark gods beneath the earth. Now here, you blissful powers underground. Answer the call. Send help. Bless the children. Give them triumph now. This is episode 188 of Alohomora for April 30th, 2016. Hello. Welcome listeners to another episode of Alohomora. Uh, MuggleNet.com's global reread of the Harry Potter series. I'm sorry, I'm so flustered. This is like, this is so weird. I'm Michael Harley. <laughs> I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Allison Sigurd. And our guest this week is not really a guest, I guess. Um, I don't want to say I replaced you, but I guess we, we, <laughs> we can't replace you. But well, it's Laura. It's Laura Riley, everyone. <laughs> She's back. Yay. Yay. I'm so happy to be here. I've missed this so much. And I, yeah, just rushed home from work so that I could make it to be able to discuss that blog of what was my favorite book that I would have had so many thoughts to say on. But here we are in, my, uh, in this chapter of it. And I'm just, yeah, really happy to be back and talk with you guys. And for anyone who doesn't know who I am, if you're like, didn't watch, <laughs> listen from the beginning, I used to host the show with everyone. And Allison did replace me. So. <laughs> and you've done a wonderful job. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was actually thinking about that today when I was thinking back. Like, here we are, the last chapter, like, back in the very first chapter. Laura was actually editing for us back in the day. Yeah. And it took me, like, a thousand hours compared to what how I'm sure the people <laughs> who do it now are, like, pros at it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a long ride, and I'm really glad to be here when we're wrapping it up so sounds good tell the uh, listeners who do know who you are what you've been up to oh well uh i graduated college so Yay. i did that um I, I graduated a long time ago actually but i graduated early so i'm actually doing the ceremony in two weeks from now and the president's speaking at it so that's cool Oh, that's wow. something to look forward wow. to. Yeah. So, uh, and then in the meantime, I've just been applying to jobs for the, <laughs> for uh, forever and bartending in the meantime, but uh, and just sort of traveling around. 
because that's what I like to do is travel journalism and all that. So just got back from Cuba. So, yeah, that's what I'm up to. <laughs> Not much. That's nice. How about all of you guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that a well, boring answer? Well, Laura, I think the listeners know what we've been up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've read, been busy. reading some book. Yeah, some yeah. some book that the people have been talking about. I hear the author's up and coming or something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually that's funny you say that because I don't know. So Laura just gave us like an update of where her life is, but because we're on so frequently, I feel like the reader, the listeners have been with us for so long and we don't ever talk about like where our lives are. I definitely <laughs> don't want to take the time we to do that right now. We are in very right different now. places than we were when we started. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just funny to think about like where my life is now versus when Yurtle yeah. the Turtle happened. I mean, I was started, I started college right when this started and yeah, it feels like a million years ago. So... Oh, the mems. I've graduated two degrees and a teacher training course. That's true. That's Jeez. <laughs> Way to make us feel inferior, wow. Rosie. Jeez. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a big chunk of time. Talk about how far we've come. I feel like I should start playing like that, like graduation song. Yeah. Oh my God. No. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to throw some wizard hats in the air. <laughs> we are graduating our reread. But of course, listeners. We we have all come a long way, and so have Harry and his crew. They've, in fact, gone so far as 19 years later, which is the epilogue of Deathly Hallows, which we will be examining today. So make sure to read it. It's, it's a nice, quick read. You could read it right now. And we'll and we'll wait, and, and you'll you'll have you'll be ready for the episode. But before we time travel, because we're not quite at nineteen years later, we're going to recap comments from our last chapter. And the first one comes from Quasi Quantum Quaffle. Wow, which is quite a great what great username. Yeah, <laughs> and they say I have another theory to this. This being why Harry doesn't feel the Cruciatus curse, and it, as we all know, you really have to want. Uh, the other person to feel pain if you cast a Cruciatus Curse. No doubt Voldemort is able to do that, but at this point he believes Harry to be dead. You cannot make a corpse feel pain, and I think even Voldemort knew that. So my explanation is, he casted Cruciatus, but his heart wasn't really in it, since he thought that it would not have the typical effect. So it didn't really work. Harry gets just thrown in the air a little bit. I think a similar thing happened when Harry tried to curse Bellatrix in Order of the Phoenix. What? Voldemort half-hearting a Cruciatus curse? I find that hard to believe. <laughs> uh, sorry, I don't buy that. I think it's maybe not that he's half-hearting it, like, emotionally, but more just, like, he's his, his head's not in the game because he's all panicky about um, not being 100% confident if he's dead or anything like that. Just being stressed about everything, almost. See, I felt that Voldemort's confidence was at its tantamount at that point, like he'd reached his peak confidence once Narcissa said that Harry was dead. I would have thought, I yeah, guess. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. He's I still agree. not quite sure what's just happened, though, so he's kind of gloating over it while kind of papering over the cracks of, yes, l- look at this, I'm, I'm torturing the boy who's dead because we totally didn't just fall to the floor accidentally and not quite yeah. <laughs> I totally didn't faint. What are you talking exactly. about? I do think he's probably in his head a little bit in that moment. Yeah. So it thinking about whatever sense. it was he just experienced. So I know you guys debated that last week and I, I was, um, a lot of the listeners were saying that it, they always thought that it was the fact that 
Harry is the owner of the Elder Wand, and it's kind of meant to be a clue that the Elder Wand won't hurt Harry. That's I, I didn't always think that, but because I was actually more along the lines of thought that Harry was just really good at throwing it off because he <laughs> seems to be... He's proven now that he can throw off pretty much every unforgivable curse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you missed one, what's to say? <laughs> <laughs> Our next comment comes from Hufflepuff Skeen who says, I propose that one Voldemort killed the Horcrux within Harry. He severed the connection with the blood magic that he brought into himself in the graveyard. What if that process was successful because there was already a bit of Voldemort within Harry, and so Harry's blood could more easily connect to Voldemort because it was already partially familiar? Once the Horcrux connection inside Harry was severed after the Avada Kedavra in the forest, so too was the blood connection to Voldemort, because there was no longer any familiarity inside Harry to maintain it. In this case, if Voldemort had immediately gone up to Harry after they both came to in the forest, I think he wouldn't be able to touch Harry without the pain like before. The fact that Ron and the others in the crowd are initially affected by Voldemort's charm, instead of being wholly protected from any of his attempts, may be explained by the fact that their protection is en masse, as opposed to the targeted protection of one individual, as in Lily to Harry. It is interesting to consider that it is their willingness to continue to fight to defy Voldemort and his evil that leads to them breaking the charm, and thus not being affected by Voldemort. Ron is shouting to defend Harry's name, and the crowd is rallying for Neville's defiance. It is their choice to continue the fight in the face of Harry's apparent demise, combined with Harry's and Moss' sacrifice protection, that keeps them safe from Voldemort. I like that. Me too. I do too. <laughs> complicated complicated stuff but i think that's that's a pretty good analysis of what's going on yeah the the blood protection it's funny because too you you know it's called blood magic and of course part of the reason that all works in the case of say harry you know lily's sacrificing herself for harry is that harry has her blood he's a blood relative of her and while we know that pretty much all wizards are distantly related that's an element that's missing kind of from from harry dying for everybody so that's a nice way to kind of fill that gap yeah because i wonder like if they hadn't so easily and so willingly like chosen to continue the fight and if voldemort would have just like started like cursing them um what what would have happened yeah, I guess this this person would answer that they would be cursed because they have to have this extra element. And I think that's right, Michael. I think like the fact that there has to be something to fill that gap, and maybe this is it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure what it would be, but that that makes sense to me. That the idea that they keep on fighting too, that there's got to be a sacrifice on I guess both sides. I wonder if that would mean that this protection fades after the battle, whereas Lily's kind of lasted until Harry came of age or whatever i've never quite understood how that charm would work until he came of age in that kind of sense but um if it's some kind of charm that's protecting them and they have to have a choice to kind of continue it once the fighting stops does that choice then kind of expire and they're all at risk again I always thought that this was kind of comparable to the use of Felix Felicis at the end of Half-Blood Prince, where it's not a complete fail-safe, be-all, end-all, but it's enough to get them through um, in a way that that they they have a distinct advantage, I guess. Sure, I could see that. 
that's the only thing I could compare it to that we've seen so far. I mean, that makes sense because we've, as Dumbledore has laid out in at King's Cross, that we're dealing with magic that hasn't ever been dealt with before. There's a lot of complicated elements and layers to this. So by this point, if J.K. Rowling wants to start making up rules, fine. Why not? Because it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen She's again. She's only got anyway, a chapter so. to go. Like, she doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. She's Cut just ready to drop the mic and leave. Then when you're yeah. gonna do <laughs> Fold it all in at the end there. And then the giant eagle. It's a brilliant and... ultimate excuse. This magic is so complicated that even the world doesn't understand it, and that's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Our last comment, full comment then today, uh, comes from... That time, Remus Wadawazid Voldy, who says, talking about, uh, we're kind of going back up to the idea of, I should have put these in a different order. I'm sorry, my laptop died. Um, the idea of why Harry doesn't feel Voldemort's Cruciatus curse. And they say, I think this is entirely due to the fact that the Elder Wand will not work properly against its true master. While I like the idea of Harry being able to somehow throw off the curse or just not be able to feel the pain, I think it is more logical that this uh, is the wand itself recognizing that it is being used against the person to whom it has allegiance and therefore simply can't perform the curse as intended. Yet narratively, to me, it it makes sense now. Like, this is one of those things that I guess I was just too derpy to get when I first read it. But... (laughs) I, that makes sense that it's it's just an added hint that the and an added confirmation i guess that the the elder wand won't act against harry because i guess up until this point other than <clears throat> casting avada kedavra on him uh the elder wand hasn't really interacted with harry at all so i guess i would, the only reason why i would believe that would be the idea of the twin cores and the not wanting to damage the holder of its brother wand um but you know we've seen some wands backfire we like ron's uh, wand backfiring in um chamber of secrets all that time ago if if wands could really choose not to hurt their owners it would seem that ron's wand should have been able to hold itself but then i guess it was broken as well I don't know. Well, just a couple of overall things. There was a really good conversation going on about um, mothers and women in Harry Potter. Um, And someone brought up, this is a great idea for a topic episode. Yes. So that one's definitely happening because I have a lot of thoughts and things (laughs) to say. I think we all do on that Um, one. But we're going to have to go back to those for that. So everyone gather all your comments together for that episode. Because we're we're excited to do that one. We should point out as well that if you look at our site now and look at the mm. new navigation yes. bar at the top, we've already opened up the submit a topic um, kind of form. So please do go and submit any ideas that you have for topic episodes in the future, and we will definitely get round to those. We read the comments. Definitely. We know you have topics that you want <laughs> us know. to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't see them coming in. We will find you. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, some of them we are very aware that you want, like women in Harry Potter, Snape. Like, you don't have to submit Snape. Like, that'll happen at some (laughs) point. I I wouldn't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you want to be on that episode, then maybe submit that you want to be on that episode. But quick shout out, too, to How Am I Going to Translate This? Who did a great little analysis of all the little 
mini battles that Harry sees around him um, and who's fighting who and what that kind of means um, in wrapping up some themes and plot points and things. I really love that scene just because I didn't get to talk about anything related to the battles, which is my favorite part (laughs) of the whole series. And I'm not going to go off and backtrack, but just an acknowledgement to how much I like that scene sort of where Harry's seeing everyone battle and just kind of walking through it and everything is, it's a personal favorite of mine. But anyway. Agreed. We gave it its yeah. love last week. We like it too. Good. <laughs> so if you want to read great comments like that or join in on the conversation, make sure you head to alohomoral.mugglenet.com and go at it to your heart's desire. <laughs> Next, we are going to take a look at some of your responses to last week's question of the week, which to remind you what it was. Harry thinks at the end of this chapter that he has had, quote, Enough trouble for a lifetime. But were there any troubles that haven't been resolved by this point? Were there any questions you felt went unanswered by the final confrontation? How do you think they should have been resolved? So the first response comes from, I thought this was an appropriate username, Pottering On. (laughs) And the response (laughs) says, The end of Harry's quest to defeat Voldemort was very satisfying for me, at least. Voldemort died having been informed about some of the biggest mistakes that he made in trying to conquer such as believing Snape was the master of the Elder Wand when it was actually Draco. And we also gain conclusion on what happens to the Hallows. Even though I appreciate having an epilogue, for Rowling to have closed the book on this chapter would have left me equally content. However, I do question whether we would have all wanted more and more details on what happened next. By having the epilogue, even if in many respects it creates more questions than it answers... At least we are provided with a little further conclusion on the next part of Harry, Ron, and Hermione's lives. And this was, um, I was actually a little surprised that quite a number of people um, took up similar responses, that they were pretty satisfied and even would have been happy um, with the book ending with this chapter. I would not have been happy. I no, I wouldn't. I need more. I Which say is that goes to get a sandwich, the end. Boo. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just because of my feelings about the epilogue that in hindsight, I'm like, oh, no, I would have been happy with it just ending there. But if it had just ended there and I didn't know, like, what the epilogue was and it was just me at that year closing the book, I would have been very unsatisfied. But I think that (laughs) this is a perfectly fine ending to the book otherwise. I don't know. I think if we didn't have the epilogue, it would have been nice to get some sort of just something to so that, you know, everything ends up kind of being okay. Maybe, you know, a a week in the future or a month in the future, six months, a year, uh, Hermione's graduation from Hogwarts, whatever that looks like. You know, something like that. Just so we know everything's okay. Oh, my God. That would have been great. Hermione's graduation. I know. would have been there. I know. It would have been fabulous, right? Oh, change the ending. ending. (laughs) Well, (laughs) since you mentioned that, this isn't the exact thing you suggested, but the next response actually incorporates something similar. Um, This comes from Feld R. Now Runs a Quiznos, which is an interesting transition (laughs) in life. (laughs) (laughs) The response says, I was overall satisfied with the ending and didn't mind the epilogue. However, I always felt there was more to the story that could have been told as a follow-up tale. I wanted to actually see Harry and Ginny together because they really had no interactions after Voldemort died. Did Ginny resent Harry at all for leaving her for a year or for always confiding in Ron and Hermione, but not her? I wanted to read about Harry going through training, maybe even taking on a case to round up the Death Eaters on the run. 
While I would have loved another book about this in true narrative form, I would have even been happy if Rowling released one long timeline. Tolkien did this very effectively, talking about Lord of the Rings. He included a timeline in an appendix, and it at least answered many questions. I find it interesting that Rowling is adding on to the series, but doing it 19 years later. Well, Curse you know, child. I was going to say, slow <laughs> your roll. It's not like she's been sitting around doing nothing all this time. <laughs> There's plenty of in-between material there. And if you're really not satisfied, there's plenty of fan fiction to take up that space in your life. Um, But, eh. I don't know. I I do agree with seeing Harry and Ginny coming back together, though. That would have been nice. Yeah, I I definitely agree with Allison because I think something like the timeline for this, at least, would have been, like, a bit gratuitous. Like, I... I reminds me sometimes in TV finales where it's so things are so not wrapped up that you get angry. But then other times I've seen shows that really are go by character by character and say everything that happens to them in the future. And it just seems like too much kind of, and it's, it just takes away kind of a nice like narrative conclusion. So it just seems like a list of facts at that point. But that was a big problem for me was that Harry didn't talk to Jenny, even just in, if it was as small as just, them going holding hands, anything like that, that was a meetup before just yeah. so that the epilogue wasn't obviously you knew Harry's gonna end up with Ginny, but it is jarring in the sense of, oh, they haven't spoken to each other in a while and now they're married with children. Another <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's why there has been such a big push for wanting a book eight for so long that, you know, mm-hmm. Without the epilogue, it would have felt premature. Like, we we have fought with these characters for so long to find that other side of this great war, to find out what happens and what life would be like after Voldemort. Um, but then what we do get in the epilogue is also not quite enough. Um, we get this kind of very small snapshot into their life, um, but we we don't really get an idea of what that life is like. We know what their children are like from very small interactions of their kind of personality and character um we know that they are still kind of you know ron's making jokes about driving and they've they both kind of take a moment to look at the fact that draco is there and he's got a son and that kind of thing but we we don't really feel we know enough about what harry's life is like after this war we know that he his scar hasn't hurt we'll get we'll obviously go into all of this when we talk about the epilogue but there's just something that's not quite enough in this epilogue we want a little bit more you know, I think part of that comes from just how truly real Rowling made these characters. Yeah. You know, there's there's a difference, in, I think, between Harry Potter and many other series where, where you do have, no matter how much or little information you get on the characters, like, that, that's enough, and you kind of close the book, and you're like, all right, that, that was... And maybe it lingers with you after a while, but, you know, overall, you're you're okay with what you were given, but... You know, it was, I think by the point where the fandom had figured out that there were actual dates that you could apply to Harry Potter. Yeah. And (laughs) that Pottermore continued to encourage the idea, especially once we get around to 2014 and we're getting a live tweeting from the Olympic or from (laughs) from the Olympics, the Quidditch World Cup um, that's happening supposedly in real time. Yeah. this idea that they really do live and breathe somewhere that just beyond mm. where we can see um, makes us want to know everything about them. Yeah. 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 And I think that's something we don't think about much, right? So obviously Harry Potter, like 
the, what Joe created is incredibly unique and may never be replicated again. And within that, just our, our demands for more for this series is so much oh, more so and much. so unique compared to, I mean, people have different feelings about different, like, um, fandoms, but I think mm-hmm. arguably Harry Potter's it's literature is certainly one of the top ones. Just how much we demand of Joe and what yeah. we want from her. And I think, <laughs> Michael, it really stems out of what you said. It's like these characters for a lot of us uniquely are just so much more real and we just like crave so much more from them. Yeah. yeah, we want to, you know, I think it really was in 2014. Everybody was like, oh, how are they doing? What's what's going on with the family? Like, you know, they're they're kind of people who we want to keep in touch with. who We want to see what they're up to. Just like when Laura comes on the show and she's just like, how are you guys doing? Yeah, no, but it's, actually, it's kind of, I don't know, I find it almost like entitled a bit that kind of these fans feel that like they and, you know, myself, including whatever, uh, <laughs> feel like they have the right almost to be like, no, we need every information. Like, you can't just leave us hanging like this. Like, what happened at every step of the way? And for a large part, that's, like, why fan fiction exists is people just, like, want need to, like, fill in the blanks because it's so interesting to us. But I don't know, I feel like the author, like, most authors are, yeah, like you said, uh, Caleb said, don't get this much demand and kind of have the right to end their story on a narrative that, like, poetically makes sense and not just like listing all of these facts like years and years and years after just to like so for everyone to get their fix it's kind of crazy (laughs) but i think that's partly that joe had already told us that she had so much more information yeah Yeah, she told us about all her notebooks and now we want to know yeah well i was gonna say the encyclopedia i mean she said she was writing it and she was working on it and then it stopped and now it's gone and now it's Pottermore, yeah. So I have yeah, no, a hope I, it'll come out someday. I, I, for the chapter discussion, I I combed through almost every interview I could get my hands on of, of right after Hallows, and in almost every one, she was like, "The Scottish book and the encyclopedia, it's coming. I have all of this in my boxes on paper, on napkins somewhere." <laughs> so that, yeah, I think that that's definitely part of it too. Is she kind of she Jesus. she put all her cards on the table because she was so excited to be done with Harry Potter and be able to talk about it that she let slip that she had everything with her that she could that we could all possibly want to know and slowly commercialize until we're all dead and then yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then i think part of it too is twitter because now that anyone can basically uh, ask her any question and she can pop up and answer it i mean I we just want more and more and more i just feel like i'm missing something so i don't like stay glued to her twitter all day well, yeah, when she's like, when she, when somebody's like, what are the Hufflepuff gems? Oh, diamonds. It's like, oh, well, we could really ask her anything then if she knows this kind of stuff. <laughs> she knows Myrtle's middle name. Like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. No. It's <laughs> so on the note of how much we want for all these many characters, this next response from the head girl really captures the breadth of what we could demand. Um, it touches on the Harry and Jimmy <laughs> aspect that the previous response da- did, but also much more. So I thought it would be a good one to read. And then maybe at the end, we can pick out one that we thought uh, or that we would have wanted the most. So the head girl says, I really, really wish we had seen the aftermath just the day after what happens next. How do Jenny and Harry reintroduce themselves to the other after to the other after Ginny saw Harry die and then save the wizarding world. What does Flitwick think when he goes into his classroom and finds his books all burnt, his desk cracked in half, and blood spattered on the walls? 
Damn. Does George <laughs> does George sleep at all that first night? No. Or does he wait by the window oh, until the sun comes up and no one else comes home? Wow, that was unnecessary. I think we know the answer to that one. <laughs> How does McGonagall feel when the headmaster's office opens for her without hesitation? And she looks at the roles for the students enrolled for the next year. But so many names are struck out. When Kingsley takes over as minister, does he have any time to grieve for the friends he's lost? Or does he go straight into cleanup mode? I also wish we could have seen the next September 1. How many students can see the Thestrals now? Can you get any learning done in a classroom where you know someone died? We know that Slytherin isn't dissolved, but how well do the kids integrate back in with the other three houses? Or are they just ostracized? I love happy endings, and Harry more than deserved his 2.5 kids in white picket fence. <laughs> but to go from a war zone to an idyllic storybook conclusion is jarring, leaving me wanting to know more about the interim. Luckily, that's why we have fanfic. <laughs> I love the dramatic pauses you took between everything as it got darker and darker. So inter- wow. that, you see, it's funny you say that because I didn't plan that, but just when I started to read it out loud versus just reading it earlier, I realized like, how heavy it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I am um, like all of that to me, it, it is more. I think the most interesting thing that this person said was that what's jarring is going from the war zone to, yeah, like totally great instantly and just so casual um and that was the thing that that struck me the hardest of why i think the epilogue was jarring because i had just been like crying my eyes out and then the next page we're just like talking about two kids making out for like three pages and i'm like like, (laughs) so but i don't know i I don't know if there was room in the book almost for this like there's too much to be said and it you know it has to conclude somewhere in the thing with with wars like this like there there isn't like it's just one day conclusion this the ramifications of this are going to go on for like a really long time and um yeah. i've thought far too much about what george happens to george um cuz he's my favorite <laughs> character and i know everything about his life so yeah that's a dark <laughs> place for me i think that is the biggest issue is that 19 years is too many years later mm, it's yeah, going I, to be yeah. a perfect start starting yeah. point for cursed child and that new story to begin but as an ending point to the story that we've been following it was there's there's too much time has it's passed too there's too much of that story to fill in in those two gap in that gap something like pride and prejudice the last chapter of that where we get to know what happened to those characters it covers kind of a year after um lizzie and darcy get married so we get to know what lizzie's family have been like over that la- over that year and when things have kind of settled down and everything's become some kind of normality and it's Mm -hmm. that normality that we need at the end but it needs to have some link to where we've just left yeah 19 years is just to address yeah that's exactly what i'm saying because it it is like night after 20 years essentially has passed everyone is emotionally over it and that's obviously they have these lingering thoughts and things like fred being dead and all these things but but 20 years you've moved on and matured and lived gotten on with your life that might not have happened a year later and stuff like that. So I don't know. But I think, I think the way she does it, though, is kind of nice. I think she does like a lot of people were saying before in the comments that they kind of would have been happy if it had just ended on that last numbered chapter. I think she wraps that up. Okay. But Mm -hmm. now she's just giving us this little offering of hope that like, look, Harry does eventually get things right. You know, Um, this person we've really come to love. And I actually, 
um, kind of with that jarring feeling, I, I just read the UK edition because that's the one I have now is the paperback one. But um, in that one, there's a, there's a separate page that says 19 years later. Yeah. Um, whereas I think in the, uh, the U S edition, it just is right. Like the beginning of a new chapter. Unless no, it's, a it's a separate page. It's a separate page. Yeah, there's a yes. separate page. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember that. You're definitely but... meant to take a breath and to like yeah. pause for a minute. But who yeah. did? So. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I think that, that that's really uh, the difficult thing is just you. why I, I think how the chapter ends, it ends on a hopeful note that was needed. And it says, oh, I've had enough trouble for a lifetime. And you know by that thing like you should know that it it's good from here on out because if it wasn't we'd know almost and it it just seemed almost gratuitous to be like no it was really fine see how casual we are but i don't know i guess we're you know, especially that, if you're gonna make comments about struggles that they then have like we we're not on the epilogue struggles. yet save it save uh. it <laughs> <laughs> well i was i was gonna say we'll get that, there <laughs> what you guys said was kind of i think what broke broke it really down really well for me then kind of helped me realize this because i'm i'm one of those weirdos i don't know if there are other people who feel this way i don't much care for the way the epilogue is written but i actually really like the movie version of the that's epilogue. me too <laughs> and i think you guys broke the way you guys said it kind of clicked for me and made me realize i think the reason i like the epilogue in the movie is in a way laura like you were saying there this this dramatic jump in tone but in the in the movie there's still kind of a sense that harry is kind of taking a few deep relieving breaths the way that dan plays it and i think the other nice thing is that the movie kind of eliminates all the fanficy feeling stuff like Mm -hmm. there's no names mentioned except for albus severus and you know we see the kids very briefly but the focus is on the adults yeah um definitely and there is just, I think it carries it over to the that 19 years a little more smoothly because yeah. to me, in a way, like you were saying, Caleb, with this comment, pick, pick what you'd want out of this. In a way, what I would have wanted was something more akin to the movie epilogue where it's just Harry and Albus and nobody else. Because hmm. um, mm-hmm. I, oh, I think see. that's the core of it for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I agree. There's like too much things happening and that's what makes it feel like fanficy, but... I think exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And the John oh, Williams I, helps. I disagree. <laughs> yes, John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I disagree with that because I love the epilogue, but we'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah, we will. And fine, <laughs> fine, minute detail. <laughs> and we will finish with the very important um, response that comes with a question from Witherwings, who asks, what has become of the flying Ford Anglia? He's king of the forest. What, what indeed? What well, it's crashed mm. through the roof of Leavesden Studios, of course. You just need to go and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the question is worth asking because Rowling initially promised it was going to appear in book seven. And then yes. Didn't. Yeah. So, Someone but, get on Twitter. Tweet one of the <laughs> only things that didn't appear in book seven. Got caught in a spider's web somewhere. Yeah, it's traveling oh, around in the forest doing its thing. The I'm spiders sure. are joyriding in it. <laughs> Could you imagine future students who discover that in the forbidden It'd be forest? awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. We got a car. 
It's how they all prepare for their muggle driving test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a class at Hogwarts taught by Hagrid. <laughs> muggle driving. Oh, God. So those are just a handful <laughs> of the really great responses to last week's question of the week. Um, you can head over to our main site and read more of the discussion going on. And of course, we have to thank our fantastic Patreon sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Lyle Hakanson over on Patreon. Yay. Thank you so much for being a sponsor of the show, especially this fantastic last episode of the last book. Well, it's going to be one of those ones that goes down in history. So thank you so much. <laughs> You guys can become a sponsor of the show for as little as $1 a month as we continue to explore the world of Harry Potter and its various themes and issues. We will continue to release exclusive tidbits for our sponsors over on Patreon as well. We've got some special kind of extra discussions um, and things that we cut out of the longer episodes. Um, so please do go and check them out over on Patreon.com. Thank you, Lyle. Lyle. Yay, thank you. Yay, thank you. <laughs> And now, here we go. Let's strap on our time turners and jump to 19 years later. Epilogue. 19 years later. my god this is crazy what are we doing <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, this is right. insane holy crap i know i oh i apologize if you if, if you see any typos or if there's a moment where i go blah, 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 because i was up till four in the morning finding all of this stuff so <laughs> i did oh see gosh. you change your profile picture on facebook yeah. at like a ridiculously late hour that was why that was why all right it's September 1st of 2017 on Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Harry is revealed to have two sons as well as a not-yet-Hogwarts-ready daughter with his now-wife, Ginny. Ron and Hermione... Cold Rosie. <laughs> Ron and Hermione are also married with two children of their own. And Teddy Lupin is confirmed to practically be a part of the family, spotted sharing a goodbye kiss with Bill and Fleur's eldest. Not much has changed otherwise. Malfoy escorts his identical son, Scorpius, with little more than a nod to the trio. Ron still approaches everything with, a, with good humor. Hermione remains the voice of reason. And Harry continues his role as a mentor, reminding his youngest son during his moment of hesitation that, is, that it is our choices that show who we truly are. As the Hogwarts Express departs, carrying a new generation of students to unknown adventures, Harry touches his scar which is now nothing more than that. And as we turn the final page, both Harry and J.K. Rowling assure us that all is indeed well. Okay. I'm sitting here grinning like an idiot. So am I. <laughs> this makes me so happy. <laughs> all right. So here so comes many all feelings. the happy. So much happy. Happy, happy, happy. First of all, <laughs> let's start with the Potter family. Let's just go right to the heart of it. They have three children. Their names are James Sirius, Albus Severus, and Lily Luna. Just At a which few point you want to give them a baby name book. <laughs> I, okay, so I'm okay with Lily Luna. I think that that's adorable yeah. and very Lily sweet. Luna is also, fun. James Sirius. And, and James, I love James Sirius, Sirius is. I mean, I, I I mean I get those. They were best I friends. Guess, it made sense. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. And I don't want to have a problem with Albus Severus, but I can't help. 
but I do. I have a problem with Albus Severus. <laughs> well, we I think everyone has a problem with that. He named his son after an old man and a greasy, nasty, middle-aged guy. <laughs> like, the, the imagery just doesn't really... You know, evoke a young person. It's also just I guess. like also just Albus isn't really like the nicest of names. Like James, Lily, like <laughs> I guess yeah, they obviously they clearly call him Al, but even Al is like it's such an old you just it's like yeah. Al. Well, like, well exactly any one of his names. He had a lot of them. Al yeah, Brian. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> you could have called him Brian. Like that would have been fun. Brian Severus. Even that sounds better. <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, come on, Potter, that would be amazing. <laughs> and interestingly with these names, a lot of the fandom has put forth the question, did Jenny have any contribution <laughs> to any of these names? I, me, I personally feel that Jenny was all for Luna. Like, I, I feel yeah. like Jenny was like, back up, Harry, this is my name. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna name it after my good friend for once. But... Yeah. Just considering how close she was to the twins, why would not one of them be called George? Well, because well, I think... Okay, so, because George, I think... George and Angelina have named their kid... Fred. Fred, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I think he gets claim on the name over Ginny. And that's part of the thing is that Ginny had a lot of, you know, acquaintances and the like die. But really the only really big death for her was was her brother. So I feel like Harry kind of gets to trump her because he was like, yeah, this person and this person and this person and this person. Is that why (laughs) so many kids was Harry just like, oh, you can name the next one. And then he's like, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, it's like, does everyone have to be named after a dead person? There's other ways of honoring someone or something. I don't know. It seems just a bit much which makes also ron and hermione's kids seem a little superficial so it's like everyone's being everyone honestly the thing that surprised me more than the boys names was the girls names so since harry obviously gets lily from his mother the fact that they don't use molly also especially well, how she has a molly daughter named to... molly say that again yeah, to reuse a name you must be dead but no, someone else. Oh, Luna's not dead. No, and why would you use Luna? Just because no, she's Percy's, her friend, just to connect Percy's her kid's name is Molly. Percy has a kid named Molly, yeah. Oh, okay. So per- maybe they just got there too late. Like, all the other Weasley kids have taken all the names. Did they all procreate in order? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Did, did they sit down at a table and be like, okay, you can have this name and you can have this name? Yes. You can- <laughs> I mean, also just like. It's one, I kind of agree. Like, if, if they're naming all of their parents and guardians, and Lily, uh, uh, Jenny was clearly close with her mother, I get that someone else is named Molly, but as a middle name, everyone in my exactly. family has the same middle name. There's like four yeah. Phillips. That's true. I guess mine does too. You know? So <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not like a middle name is like, oh no, because your cousin or whatever has that also name. I don't know. It seems a bit silly, but whatever. Well, it's, well, a, it's a nice thing to kind of remind us that I feel like. Luna has become part of their little, like, friend family, you know? I think that's nice. Yeah. I think part of what bothers me is that we know all of their middle names. James Neville Potter. Yeah, we don't get a Neville in there, so... Honestly, I think Luna's name is there is because Luna's not in the epilogue and never mentioned in the epilogue. (laughs) That's so true. It's just a shout-out, probably. I also have a feeling, you know, from what we know about her story, that she kind of went off and almost never returned. Like one of those people yeah. that was your friend in high school and you guys were super close and it was awesome. And then she, they just depart. 
And, and then you name your child after. Well, you know, if it was somebody that you went through something like that, maybe you would do that. But I feel like maybe they never see each other again. I think she's like the cool aunt. I don't know if they... Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they never see each other again, but maybe they just don't see her very often. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, she's traveling the world, right? So Rolf. Yes. We'll, yeah. we'll get we'll get to Luna, but to to stay with the Potters for just a moment, there's actually... James Sirius seems to have been the one who has lived up to his name the most so far. As Rowling confirmed, uh, James sneaked the Marauder's map out of his father's desk one day. So James is now in possession of the Marauder's map. Um, And as we know, thanks to Twitter, James began um, his time at Hogwarts on September 1st of 2015. And he was indeed sorted into Gryffindor. Um, So he is in the process right now of completing his first year at Hogwarts. Um, I like that kid. <laughs> uh, I wrote a fanfic about that kid. I do have to. <laughs> Sorry. I do. I do have to. On a personal note, and I know that there was a reason given by Rowling, but for me, it, it, where where was the loop in love? No loop in love in any of these names. But um, as again, dishing out the names, Rowling said Harry left Remus's name for Teddy to use for his own son. Um, she insisted that uh, in 2015. Were there, I mean, were there any other names that you, other people, I know we said Molly, Neville, yeah. were there any other people that you Hagrid. Hagrid. Oh, yeah. Okay. First of all, yes. Hagrid was way more important, I think, to Harry than Dumbledore, <laughs> especially Snape. But also Arthur. Arthur would really served as like a father figure to him as well. Yeah. And it's also Ginny's actual father. And as far as I can know, remember, no one else is like named after yeah. Arthur. Right, yeah. so that seems like a big gap. And if you're going to do alliterative Lily Luna, you could do Arthur Albus. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, that would have been nice. I like that a lot. And Arthur's a normal name, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful name. I would have right, liked Rowan. to see them name one of their kids after Dobby, just personally. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> or Creature. They know? named yeah. an owl after them. Hedwig. <laughs> something, I don't know. Oh, you know they had another snowy owl named Hedwig too. You know, yeah. I hope they so. have a puppy named Dobby. <laughs> they probably do. I hope so. And another one so. named Padfoot. I guess it's just kind of partly that there are so many characters in Harry Potter, and Joe has used so many names. <laughs> that, what know, about a daughter named them. Ruby though? New. For Rubius, for Hagrid, that would have been cute. Anyway, oh, that would have been cute. cute. <laughs> Have more kids, Harry, Ginny, and name them better names. <laughs> I have a question. Are there any Johns or Jonathans in Harry Potter? Mm, Remus John Lupin. that is Lupin. one of the most common names. Yeah. Remus John Lupin. Okay, there you go. Yeah. He's named after his dad, I believe. Yeah. Because um, so, that's yeah. not Wait, no. unusual in this No, his, his, no, his dad's, dad's name is Lyle. Lyle. Yeah, so. I was like, that's not right. Was it his grandfather? So, yeah, John came Something from like somewhere. That. But... It's a family name, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's so. Those those are those were some choices that were made by the Potter family. <laughs> um, Ginny, uh, we we haven't gotten much on her. Uh, the the little snippet rolling dropped about her during the most of these snippets, by the way, listeners come from uh, a few sources. This this uh, m- many of them come from the Bloomsbury dot com chat she did in t- uh, two thousand seven, right after um, Deathly Hallows was published. And when asked about Ginny, she said, after a few years as a celebrated player for the Hollyhead Harpies, Ginny retired to have her family and to become the senior Quidditch correspondent at the Daily Prophet. And as we know, in 2014, if uh, you were on Pottermore then, which uh, will be tied you if you weren't because it's gone now, 
Ginny, we actually could read Ginny's Daily Prophet um, articles as well as her kind of uh, battle with Rita Skeeter during the Quidditch World it was Cup. Brilliant. Are those not um, backed up anywhere? They're not on there at all. They are. You have to dig around for them. They're not on Pottermore anymore. Um, mm. You got to because some of that was actually on the Pottermore Insider, which also no longer exists. Um, so a lot of that's gone, unfortunately. But Wayback yes. Machine, maybe. The Wayback Machine go. doesn't work for that, sadly. I tried. <laughs> I, yeah, but it's because it was all Flash embedded, and so it doesn't work. But there was much more information dropped on Harry. Uh, so a few things that Rowling said about him. Kingsley wanted Harry to head up his new aura department. Harry did so. Just because Voldemort was gone, it didn't mean that there would not be another other dark witches and wizards in the coming years. And Rowling later followed that up by making Harry her Wizard of the Month on her old website. And Harry's wizard card said, Harry Potter joined the reshuffled aura department under Kingsley Shacklebolt at age 17, rising to become head of said department in 2007. So in nine years, Harry became head of the department. I, a lot of people have questioned before uh, during this period that the information came out do we feel that harry was qualified to go into an or position um did you not read the seven books <laughs> like, i did but i still have questions I about now, michael i kind of agree with what you're saying or in alluding to because i think in terms of like i like i'm liking it to being almost like an fbi agent or something like that mm-hmm. like Clearly, he's got, you know, the street smarts and the experience in a sense. But even when you see his experience, he's always kind of just like throwing Expelliarmus at the wall and seeing what sticks. (laughs) Um, There's more (laughs) finesse, I'm sure, to it. But I think he obviously has like that natural gut feel uh, instinct of what is needed to do and stuff that I think with a little training, a little finessing, think he'd be perfect for it he and did, eventually be qualified yeah. he did teach the da well enough to survive everything they went through so i think he would be able to lead the department yeah. in a similar way but there's a there's an aura exam right like tonks had yeah. to do that and for yeah. harry to just be kind of dropped in at the age of 17 i don't I'm know sure it seems he wasn't a little like foolhardy that much i i don't think he was like yeah the full responsibility because i think things were so chaotic that they just needed help really at that point but once things got sorted yeah. i think what is it, 10 years is a good amount of time, realistic amount of time for him to be heading it up. He was only missing one year of Hogwarts. Like, everyone else would be starting around the similar time as well. He's not being dropped in it. He's just missed one year and then joined at the same time as everyone else. Yeah, but we don't know what happens in that seventh year. Probably Probably not aura training. (laughs) He probably figures it out. Also recall that, and this we'll get more into this information later, but Hermione is not with him during this time, at least for his first year, because <laughs> she is back at Hogwarts. Um, so Harry does not have Hermione to But he always beat respect. her in Defense Against the Dark Arts anyway. It was the one thing that he was better That's true. At than her. Yeah. But Defense Against the Dark Arts isn't the only discipline that you need to be in order. There are other right. important yeah. disciplines. Yeah, also just like studying for the test and things like that. Yeah. I'm sure he figures it out. Like, I, I highly doubt that Kingsley was just like, hey, Potter, you're going to come lead my thing today. Like, I'm sure he was like, will you come join us? And that's what Harry wanted to do anyway. So he took the test. I mean, he could have been studying. And being an aura is being part of a team. So everyone needs to have their different strengths and weaknesses. You'll probably have a very good potions person and a very good defense against the dark arts person working together so that they can share their skills. And then Harry can just be like, yeah, I killed Voldemort. (laughs) 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 That's what he does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and 
Harry's Harry has lost one ability, according to Rowling during the Bloomsbury chat. He can no longer speak parcel tongue. He loses the ability and is very glad to do so. Which is extremely so, interesting because it suggests that the ability to speak parcel tongue came from the Horcrux. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that lends a lot of kind of lends back in, feeds back into the discussion we've had since we brought up Horcruxes and Harry's abilities is how much was the Horcrux and how much was Harry. Um, about a lot of things we've examined. So I think, in a way, rather than answer any questions, that kind of opens that up to more discussion. Um, but in place of Parseltongue, uh, Harry does get Sirius's motorbike, which Mr. Weasley fixes for him and gives mm-hmm. back to Harry. So that I like is, that. That is in Harry's possession. Somebody rides um, to work every like day at the to- ministry. <laughs> 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 oh, see, I was going to say, I like to picture Harry just, like, out for drives in the countryside, just, like... Leather jacket, glasses know. on. Yeah. yeah. I hope we yeah. see that in Cursed Child, just him driving onto the stage. <laughs> I love that. Yes. And I hope Ron makes fun of him for it. I'm cool, yeah. yeah. No, Ron's, in the, Ron's in the sidecar. Ron's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Um, of course, wasting no time, as Rowling said, I imagine Rita Skeeter immediately dashed off a biography of Harry after he defeated Voldemort. One quarter truth to three quarters rubbish. At best. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they read that and bring things up like they're real. Like, I hope that's like a joke among them. Like, they read that book and bring up something she totally fabricated and they just pretend like it's real for the fun of it because it's hilarious. I do love the (laughs) idea of a slightly rushed book cashing in on certain things happening not gonna name any names um <laughs> hmm. let's move on oh. that sounds like a snide <laughs> remark rosie shame Never. <laughs> far too british for that yeah no she she passed it off as super classic <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but uh as rita notes during her um reports on the Quidditch World Cup during 2014, which are much more a report about Harry and his scratching of his ear, which she actually does report on at one point. She does <laughs> note that there, the famous lightning scar has company. Potter is sporting a nasty cut over his right cheekbone, so it looks like Harry's work... He's definitely got his work cut out for him in the aura department. Cursed child! <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how he got that cut. that was the hit drop to cursed child um meanwhile um not too far off next to harry and and ginny are hermione and ron uh they have had two children who are not named after anybody in particular (laughs) because hermione is sensible hermione is the one to follow (laughs) they're kind of named after them though i just picture ron coming in being like can we like name him yeah like Hagrid and uh, just and all these like random people are me just being no, we're not <laughs> Hugo and Rose because I like those names and that's I like I like that they've matched up like their first letters of their names uh-huh. match up I think that's H and O I didn't even realize that so they go together <laughs> there's not really much given about about uh, Hugo and Rose they're they are present, and they are, and and Rose is going to Hogwarts as well. Um, but uh, a little bit about Ron and Hermione. Ron um, had a few bits of info dropped about him uh, on in Rita Skeeter's report. 
Uh, she said, in the immediate aftermath of the battle, Weasley entered into employment with the Ministry of Magic alongside Potter, but left only two years later to co-manage the highly successful Wizarding Joke Emporium, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, which, as Rowling confirmed, became an enormous money spinner. Um, so if you've ever visited it in, in at the Wizarding World <laughs> in Florida, you've contributed funds to Ron and George's <laughs> lifestyle. So thank you. And uh, the trio were um, eventually featured on Chocolate Frog Cards. And Ron uh, will describe this as his final. I really hour, like that. <laughs> so Ron, I love that. <laughs> according to Rowling, can, does anyone know? Does anyone know if you can get those chocolate frog cards? I don't cards? think so. Are those available, like at the Wizarding World? I don't think so. Oh, mm. that's a shame. I've only ever got Dumbledore and the Founders. Whenever I've gotten Godric Gryffindor, every yeah, time. yeah, they just should add Gryffindor them, and Hufflepuff, but they should. That would be mm. fun. Harry appears as a wizard card on um, in the uh, video games. Yeah, he's like he's always the last card you earn um, in the video games, and uh, and and again he did appear as the wizard of the month on Rolling Site, which is the equivalent to the wizard cards. Um, of course, the other thing, the Ron kind of gets one of the uh, uh, bigger laughs and meteor moments of the of the trio. Uh, he talks about getting his driver's permit, um, <laughs> and that he actually he he falsifies and says that he totally did it right um, to Hermione, and then he turns around to Harry and he's like, "No, I totally confronted the instructor. I I don't need a driver's permit. It's fine." Um, but and we get one last mention of a spell, uh, one new spell, the super sensory charm. Um, guess it makes you a good driver. <laughs> I love uh, that Ron's getting his driver's permit when he's, run. like, 37 as well, though. Like, it's it's, it's not like it happened <laughs> when he was 17, like most people, because he's just telling Harry about it now. You know Hermione's been driving that Mon van <laughs> around for all these years. <laughs> <laughs> she knew how to drive a car. Didn't Ron become an or though? Because I've always had the impression that, um, and I don't know if this, this isn't true because I've just fanfiction George's story in my head too much. But didn't Ron become an or like I, I was always under the impression he helped with Wizard Weasley's, uh, you know what I mean, um, for a few for a few like just to kind of get them back off the ground and like get George like back into it or whatever. And I I, I always thought he was then was also an or with with Harry. I think that it's the was other way the around. question of the yes the the, yeah. the question of the order of that order of events was um up in the air until 2014 when Rita Skeeter confirmed in the report that Ron joined the uh the ministry with Harry for 2 years and uh then he went to work at Weasley's Wizard Weasley's. Mm. Um so it would seem that he is currently working there but I suppose he could probably waltz into the ministry anytime he wants cuz he's Ronald Weasley. So, yeah. Just like Harry can say, I killed Voldemort, Ron can say, oh, I'm Ronald Weasley and I'm on a wizard card. So. I don't think that Ron would like the bureaucracy of having to work for government in any yeah. way. Yeah, probably not. I just really appreciate that he, even though he was clearly capable to be an R, that he did something that wasn't with Harry yeah. like in a professional sense. Yeah. This is one of my well, favorite things that we learn about the trio. And the only reasoning we get that may or may not be true, because as we know, Rita doesn't always use direct quotes, um, is in that report she did say that Ron said um, that the uh, the Wizarding War took a toll on him, and that was kind of his reasoning behind, and that he was looking forward to helping George in his story. But that all seems relatively truthful. Yeah, yeah um, I, I feel like that could almost be like his Horcrux experience catching up with him. He was just like, you know, I'm done with things like that. I'm going to go have some laughs. Mm -hmm. That sounds better. 
Now, Hermione, of course, did exactly what everybody expected her to do. She was awesome. Um, yes. First of all, in the should we get Hermione is actually one of the few tidbits we get about the immediate aftermath of the battle. Hermione found her parents, undid the memory damage, and brought them home straight away. And to quell the debate about that, Rowling clarified during the Bloomsbury chat, uh, when asked about Hermione using a memory charm, um, she clarified there are two different charms. She has not wiped her parents' memories, as she later does to Dolohov and Raoul. She has bewitched them to make them believe that they are different people. So... There's some clarification mm-hmm. on that. The movies definitely went on a different track for a more emotional mm-hmm. punch, I believe, which worked out great in the movie. But um, there is the confirmation there that Hermione's parents were perfectly fine. They just had a very nice vacation in Australia. <laughs> um, Hermione did go back to Hogwarts to get her NEWTs, and she began her post-Hogwarts career at the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, where she was instrumental in greatly improving life for house elves and their ilk. She then moved, despite her jibe to Scrimgeour, to the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, where she was a progressive voice who ensured the eradication of oppressive pro-pureblood laws. And, according to Rita's uh, report on Pottermore, she is currently Deputy Head of Magical Law Enforcement. So proud of her. (laughs) Hermione is awesome. But, um, of course... There was quite the hubbub just uh, back in 2014. I'm just not going to listen to this bit. I'm fine. No, (laughs) I... mm, mm. We have to bring it up. I got to bring it up. So, uh, now, the, the important thing to note about this is that Time Magazine got a hold of snippets of this interview that Emma Watson did with J.K. Rowling before the full interview was released, and my, did it explode, because a few quotes were taken out of context. To say the least. But and then misquoted. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Somewhere on Mugglemat, there's a piece that I wrote that with a lot of vitriol <laughs> with, like, the fallout <laughs> and terrible yeah, journalism do. that occurred after this happened. I'm, I'm still cleaning up for this. 2014, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm still correcting people on this. Yeah. Still. So... To put it to put it all together now, of course, I had to. Uh, I I didn't quite cherry pick like Time Magazine did. I had to take a few things out just to make it a little more coherent. But this, I think, conveys Rowling's point, and it says here, "I wrote the Hermione Ron relationship as a form of wish fulfillment. That's how it was conceived, really, for reasons that have very little to do with literature and far more to do with me clinging to the plot as I first imagined it, Hermione with Ron." If I'm absolutely honest, distance has given me perspective on that. It was a choice I made for very personal reasons, not for reasons of credibility. It was a young relationship. I think the attraction itself is plausible, but the combative side of it? I'm not sure you could have got over that in an adult relationship. There was too much fundamental incompatibility. In some ways, Hermione and Harry are a better fit, and I'll tell you something very strange. When I wrote Hallows, I felt this quite strongly when I had Hermione and Harry together in the tent. I hadn't told Steve Cloves that, and when he wrote the script, he felt exactly the same thing at exactly the same point. And actually, I liked that scene in the film, because it was articulating something I hadn't said, but I had felt. I really liked it, and I thought it was right. I think you do feel the ghost of what could have been in that scene because it teeters on the edge of what are we doing? Oh, come on, let's do it anyway, which I thought was just right for that time. Maybe Hermione and Ron will be all right with a bit of counseling. They'll probably be fine. 
She needs to work. He needs to work on his self-esteem issues, and she needs to work on being a little less critical. Just like her creator, she has a real weakness for a funny man. These uptight girls, they do like them funny. It's such a relief from being so intense yourself. You need someone who takes life or appears to take life a little more lightheartedly. I call straight BS on the beginning of this <laughs> of this quote, but by the end, I'm a little bit better. <laughs> well, yes, reading it all in context does make you feel a little bit better. Yes. It? Imagine that. <laughs> I mean, I know everyone's all mad, but I thought this perfectly articulated everything that I had always felt about it. I was never like a Harry Hermione shipper by any means, but I wasn't really like a Harry Ron shipper. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> Hermione <laughs> Ron. <laughs> but many were. But uh, many anyway, were. <laughs> but it because because I always kind of felt this way, which was just that like yeah, like it made sense at the time, and they were you know. It, like, yeah, that made sense almost like as a young thing, but I just couldn't see that continuing for a lifetime when they were, what, 16, 17, when this sort of thing was going down. So I think, I think with how she put it, it is perfect. And I think it's kind of realistic to, to life in a sense that, I mean, how many times do people date people that they're not necessarily compatible with on every level, but it just makes sense for the time. And yeah, there's some qualities or whatever. So I just think that, it's beautifully put. I do think that some of the issues that were supposedly incompatible are things that they would have grown out with, grown out of as they matured yeah, anyway. Same, especially Ron and kind of the emotional issues and all that kind of stuff. I think as as you grow older and you become more aware of the world and become more aware of your place in it, those kind of things would settle and and become less of a combative moment. Um, yeah. But no couple is yeah. 100% no. compatible. Like, there's, you know... Exactly. Like, it's a balance. Like, she said, oh, um, uptight girls, they do like them funny or whatever. Like, she she needed that, like, balance, and he needs that in her. And uh, obviously, like, someone like Harry and Jenny is a bit more of a similar personality. And I'm sure they probably just had a much more, like, easygoing time, but that doesn't not validate Harry and Hermione. Oh, my God, it did it again. <laughs> Hermione and Ron. <laughs> really. Freudian flip. Right, as you said that you know Ron, we just talked about Ron getting the like changing jobs. Like I think he probably found yeah. himself a lot more and doing something that wasn't the exact same thing as Harry. And um, like Laura was just mentioning, him like maturing a lot. I think that would have been really important to like developing and making this relationship work, despite whatever struggles they may have yeah. had. Yeah, becoming more of a person for himself and not just quote Harry Potter's stupid friend or sidekick yeah. or which whatever. we know was always yeah. like a super sore spot for him so yeah right. i mean it was the yeah, reason exactly. he 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 left right it was the way the way the horcrux played on him when they were you know on the run right and i i think that's an excellent kind of probably explanation for you know and maybe an additional reason that it may not necessarily be canon for for why ron moves on from being an aura is because he kind of always wanted to be an aura because harry wanted to be an aura Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the idea that after maybe after experiencing it for a while, he was like, "Okay, I, I was an aura. That's enough," and goes to help out his brother and kind of be tight knit with his family, which is something I think Ron always has been. Um, yeah, and returning to those kind of the Weasley roots, and also just being lighthearted, and he's always you know always yeah. being the funny yeah. one that it kind of makes sense he was always the kind of student that didn't really know what he wanted to do like there's there's no clear indication of any of ron's interest beyond you know quidditch um and he wasn't really Mm -hmm. that great at that so he yeah he he followed where other people went because that was what was easy and safe but eventually he managed to find his own niche in the world which is 
what we all aspire to do. I think he's always desired to be something which he thought was better. And so I feel like he would be really happy working with his brother because he gets to really contribute and be an important person. He gets to be, I don't know if he's part owner or whatnot, but he gets to really feel like he's accomplished something and he's a big deal in his family now, which is, I mean, if you remember, that's what he saw in the mirror of Erised, himself being successful and like a valued member of his family, which I think he is now. And it's also not just like his family. It's also the fact that like, obviously it's always been Fred and George, Fred and George. And, you know, George has like this, this big void now. And if Ron, if the two of them obviously grow closer and become their, you know, their closest confidants and stuff moving forward, like mm-hmm. Ron's doing a lot of good. Just how he was always kind of there for Harry as the companionship that Harry needed, even if it wasn't always practical. Um, if you can do the same for George, I think that that's really valuable. And I think all that kind of leads into, I've always imagined that Ron and Hermione got married quite a bit, kind of after, not quite a bit, but a few years after Ginny and Harry did. Um, I agree that it took them, it took them longer to figure out themselves and figure out that, yes, we do work together. Um, kind of, I, I've always kind of imagined them not becoming distant, but a little bit more distant right after this war, but then coming back together, um, to get to this point, which I think works with what she's saying. I also will say though, that this quote about, about, uh, that dance scene in the tent actually made me like that scene in the movie a lot more. It's my favorite scene in the whole series. Yeah, I really? love that scene. It's my favorite added scene. Yeah. If people like have heard me talk about this when I used to host, I've brought this up at every possible moment of being <laughs> on the show of how much that is my favorite scene in the whole series. I've never reacted that emotionally to anything as a real moment and not as like just a, oh, I'm watching fantasy and it's Harry Potter and things are cool. Uh, that was just such a the most human moment to me of the entire series, and I will defend it till my dying breath. So <laughs> I love it, but I don't see it's romantic. It's not still. romantic. No, it's not. It's exactly what J.K. Rowling said. I don't. I disagree. I think J. I think Joe here is hinting at uh, a, a possible romance that could have been, but then that teeters away. I don't know. I think I, it's, it's I more solid like, friendship in in the film to me, but. I think it's no. I totally get exactly what J.K. Rowling's saying here, which is just like that when you're with the you know tight knit female male friendship, like you can be as platonic as platonic can be, and these moments still happen if you're like in this in that sort of vulnerability. It just happens. So I think it's just a very realistic thing. And even though nothing happens yeah. of it, there's this like, yeah, the ghost of what could be is a perfect way of putting it. Didn't she add something somewhere too, where she, she said it's that it's more that they're missing Ron and Ginny yeah. and their relationships with them. Yeah. Than and they're kind of living that like anything between each them. Other. Yeah. Yeah. See, can we get that from each other? And the answer <laughs> is, uh, no. And which is why Not they really. like, consider it. And then they walk away from each other. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to note about what Michael read here is that the word regret is not used once. Yeah. Let's just yes. be clear. Mm-hmm. On that. Yes. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I Well, and I think what really stands out for me from that, from that quote from Rowling is that she has always equated Hermione to herself. Yeah. And I really don't see it as something wrong that she kind of you know, for a moment she dropped the literary concerns and just did a little bit of wish fulfillment because really she doesn't do that very much in Harry Potter. 
Um, and that's what makes the Harry Potter book so good is she doesn't fall to her readers or her own wish fulfillment. She does things for the sake of story. And this was just one of those moments where she wrote that probably li- living a little vicariously through her character and was just like, I like that. I'm going to keep that. And yeah. it was, you know, no, whether, whether or not you were a, a Harry, uh, a Harry Hermione or a Ron Hermione shipper, you know, unfortunately the, the signs were kind of undeniable that she was <laughs> dropping hints for Ron and Hermione throughout From the series. And I think it is, um, it is literary. Yeah. I, I don't see why, you know, the great romances always have to happen with the hero and the love interest, you know, having yeah. the the two, whatever, sidekicks, not sidekicks, but the, the other characters fall in love and have a relationship and have it as a slow burning build that does happen throughout the series and all of that kind of thing is more realistic. And it's more heartwarming because you are the observer in that relationship. We, we've seen it develop through Harry's eyes and through all of these moments that have happened throughout the years. And I do think it's really realistic. I don't think there's any problem with it. You know, you you develop feelings. I think it's the most realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't don't quite see why it would have been necessary to only call it wish fulfillment. There is enough grounding there that it's perfectly fine and perfectly good and a solid relationship. There's more of a foundation there than there is from what we've seen in the books between Harry and Ginny. There's enough to justify Harry and Ginny, but it is not on the same playing field as what Ron and Hermione have been yeah. together. It's so much so that in book six, Harry is even pondering what it's going to be like if he becomes the yeah. third yeah. deal at one point. <laughs> so, but um, uh, there were some characters who did not get together with um, expected matches. And uh, that leads us into the first set who are mentioned, the Malfoys. Uh, they have a uh, quite a bit of backstory that's been, slapped on them since the book was released. Uh, As Rowling confirmed in the Bloomsbury chat, the Malfoys weaseled their way out of trouble again due to the fact that they colluded, albeit out of self-interest, with Harry at the end of the battle. So that's how the Malfoys got out of any trouble. They did not go to Azkaban. Um, Now, of course, we know that... We now know that Draco married... Miss Astoria Greengrass, who we have never heard of before in the series. But details about her, as revealed on Pottercast in 2007, she was two years younger than he was at Hogwarts. And as revealed on Pottermore in Draco's own section, Draco married the younger sister of a fellow Slytherin, that would be Daphne Greengrass. Astoria Greengrass, who had gone through a similar, though less violent and frightening conversion from pure-blood ideals to a more tolerant life view, was felt by Narcissa and Lucius to be something of a disappointment as a daughter-in-law. They had had high hopes of a girl whose family featured on the Sacred 28, but as Astoria refused to raise their their grandson Scorpius in the belief that muggles were scum, family gatherings were often fraught with tension." So it would appear that a rift has come between. But yes, it's. I think that was kind of nice to find out that Astoria is not Narcissa. Because if you just look at the imagery in the movie, she, yeah. Ma- Malfoy and yeah. Harry both married their mothers. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, I mean, it shows Draco uh, having growth just yeah. in that sense, too, of having yeah. him, like, yeah. And Harry's this is the only thing on that, that minor villain. Yeah. yeah. 
this is the only thing that remotely redeems Draco for me. I don't think Draco gets much much of redemption, um, but these little tidbits are the only thing that makes me feel like maybe he improved a little bit. Oh, girl, we're going to have a Draco-themed show and you and I are going to kick it out. Okay. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what comes of Draco and Scorpius and Cursed Child and see if we get any more yes. development on this because that, yes. that will be an interesting mm-hmm. story to me. Well, and as, as Rowling revealed, she had a few things to say about Draco and Scorpius. First to Draco, she said on Pottermore under Malfoy's section, I imagine that Draco grew up to lead a modified version of his father's existence. Independently wealthy, without any need to work, Draco inhabits Malfoy Manor with his wife and son. I see in his hobbies further confirmation of his dual nature. The collection of dark artifacts harks back to family history, even though he keeps them in glass cases and does not use them. However, his strangest interest in alchemical, his strange interest in alchem, in alchemical manuscripts alchemical. from which he never attempts to make a. F- <laughs> Thank you, alchemical words. However, his strange interest in alchemical manuscripts from which he never attempts to make a philosopher's stone hints at a wish for something other than wealth, perhaps even the wish to be a better man. I have high hopes that he will raise Scorpius to be a much kinder and more tolerant Malfoy than he was in his own youth. And thus, the Dramini ship is born. Oh, man. (laughs) Basically in that paragraph. Oh, Uh, Rowling also noted, uh, because somebody asked her if, like Pettigrew, would Malfoy be in Harry's debt because of magical ways that that works? Uh, and she responded, would Malfoy be in Harry's debt? I think the very worst burden Harry could have put Malfoy under was this one, that Malfoy has to feel any kind of gratitude. So I tried to show that slightly in the epilogue when they look slightly at each other, and there's a high... It's so embarrassing. You saved my life. No one will ever let me forget it. (laughs) I think, does he owe him a debt? Probably not. I think Malfoy would go back to being an improved version of what he was, but we shouldn't expect him to be a really great guy anytime soon. So that's the, and I think that was pretty excellently conveyed by the fact that they see each other and they give the curt nod and don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Um, That seems to summarize it pretty well. Uh, Scorpius, uh, Rowling had something to say about him during the Bloomsbury chat. Scorpius has a lot going against him, not least that name. However, (laughs) I think, I think Scorpius would be an improvement on his father, whom misfortune has sobered. And thus was born the Scorpius Rose ship. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That is also a popular one. But that's just because Ron Uh, warns her away from him. Well, yeah, that too. stay away from Scorpius Rosie, he says. (laughs) And of course you gravitate toward the things that you're told. The forbidden apple. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, apple, drapple. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And Rowling did also confirm that Malfoy's uh, dark mark scar would fade. Would fade to a scar not dissimilar to the lightning scar on Harry's forehead. Like Harry, these scars would no longer burn or hurt. So there is still evidence left on Malfoy as well as other Death Eaters of what they have done, but doesn't function anymore. Now, the other, uh, another family that's mentioned, the Longbottoms. Um, the only thing that's mentioned about them in the book is that Neville is now the Hogwarts herbology teacher, and that James should give him love, <laughs> which James finds absurd. <laughs> nah, you can't, I'm sure can't he did, though. Love. I, li- I like to imagine he like snuck off and was like, Mom and Dad say hi. 
Neville's like, all right, kids. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of Hugs a secrecy party. Neville invites him round yeah. <laughs> whenever he's feeling yeah, like that. Um but we did get confirmation the go- the the Longbottoms are the Longbottoms are godparents to Albus Severus, as was confirmed by Rita Skeeter in 2014. Um, Neville has kept his DA coin, as Rowling put. The DA coins would be like badges or medals of honor, proof that the owner had been at the heart of the fight against Voldemort from the start. I like to imagine Neville showing his to his admiring pupils. <laughs> I like that. That's so cute. That- That always reminded me, my gym teacher in high school uh, used to be an NFL player, and he would wear his Super Bowl ring on the first day of school every year. And he'd be like, (laughs) yeah, check this out. That's always reminded me um, of him every time I read Neville's. Yeah. That's totally what Neville does. Like, oh, what's this on my desk? (laughs) Just hoping someone asks about it. (laughs) He'll have, like, a picture of him and Harry at Christmas or something on his desk just to kind of show off that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if Neville's going to brag like that. I feel like Neville, like, (laughs) kids would come up and be like, so, uh, you're that Neville, right? And then he would be like, yes, look, here it is. (laughs) Are we done now? Yeah, I think that year one Neville may have reacted like that, but I think that new confident Neville would have no problem bragging a little bit. I feel like confidence doesn't mean bragging, though. Not, like, yeah, openly can... bragging, like, Lockhart. Like, not like that. But, like, right. just enough where it's, like, not like, like, hey, kids, like, this is what I did. But just, like, yeah, openly being, like, tell, almost, like, telling, like, war stories type things to, since oh, he had look. such, like, an epic moment. There's a shiny galleon in my pocket. I wonder what that is. <laughs> oh! <Right. laughs> Let me tell you all about I it. I do think it would be more, like meaningful to him like he would look at it and remember his time with his friends more than just yeah, using yeah. it as a as a way of showing off he may show it to people that are yeah i think that's like him. a life highlight really yeah. for him it was the biggest turning point in his life honestly so mm-hmm. and it meant so much to him just on the terms the idea of friendship so yeah, yeah it's probably like his prized possession and talk about people we didn't expect to get Yay, together. Uh, a lot of people, a lot Griffin of people Puffs. initially ha- had shipped uh, Neville with Luna even before part two came out, and Steve Clovis kind of went along with that. Um, but Neville ends up with Miss Hannah Abbott, as Rowling put it. He marries the woman who becomes eventually the new landlady at the Leaky Cauldron, which I think would make him very cool among the students that he lives above the pub. He marries Hannah Abbott. And in 2014, Rita Skeeter confirmed, Hannah has not only reta- uh, re- retrained as a healer, but is applying for the job of matron at Hogwarts. So she's looking, I guess, to replace uh, Madame Pomfrey. I like the idea so. that she didn't want to stay away from him for the whole year anymore. So she's trying yeah. to get closer. That's really sweet. I like this. I like this whole thing. I think it's so nice. I think it's so nice that it wasn't like... Because we criticize this for being too fanficy, and if he had ended up with Luna and yeah. was in this too, like yeah. I would have shut the book. It's like too much at that point. Because yeah, for agree. people to be all like dating the people that had vague interest in when they were 16 and under, <laughs> all yeah. of them across well, the board is a bit ridiculous. Didn't Joe say that, he, that she thinks they would have had some like yeah, little affair? I, I'm remembering that correctly, right? No, Rolling. No. I think it was. Oh, I think I it was Joe. 
Rowling essentially said, I don't have the quote here, but I read it. Rowling essentially said that she liked, she, she didn't mind that. I, she, she felt initially that that was like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not what I wrote at all. But she said after the fandom presented it and Clovis presented it, she felt a little tug at the idea. And she thought that she said basically that it's up to the fandom to decide if they dated or not, because she likes to actually leave that one open. Yeah, I think she discussed that in the DVD extras for the film. Oh, people yeah. could date and not get married. Yeah, like, that's okay. Which is why so I like. Sense. I think it, I think it was Ivana who said that. Yeah, they probably had a little summer fling, and then they just decided it wasn't right. And I like that. I accept that because it's not. Yes, because God forbid in Harry Potter that you just have a summer fling. <laughs> so well, it's all true love, and that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes, that was a nice little tidbit on the long bottoms. The Weasleys. Um, Percy actually makes a cameo here. We don't actually see him, but Harry hears him and immediately goes in the other direction. <laughs> um, Percy has married a woman named Audrey. That is literally everything we know about her. Her name is Audrey. Um, he is now head of Department of Magical Transportation, which is why he's talking about broomstick regulations oh, when Harry hears him on the platform. <laughs> um, they have two children, Molly and Lucy. We know where Molly comes from. I'm assuming Audrey named Lucy, because <laughs> um, we've got no Lucys as far as I know in the series. Um, and uh, Bill and Fleur, they're not in appearance, but by proxy, uh, one of their prodigies are, we have they have three children, Louis, Dominique, and Victoire, because you definitely have to pronounce it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> of course, Louis is the son. And Dominique and Victoire are their daughters. Has it been confirmed that Dominique um, is a daughter? Because I thought that was up in the air for yes. a while. I think it was confirmed somewhere that as the as the sources I got, she's a she's a girl. Okay, mm-hmm. um, that's the feminine spelling of but, it, so uh, it makes sense. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I don't know French, okay. so whatever. <laughs> and uh, Victoire was born on the anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts, alluding to her name, Victory. Um, she is busy making out <laughs> with very busy Teddy Lupin. <laughs> hey, Lupin love, <laughs> true Lupin love going on right on this platform. <laughs> if anything else, this was perfect. Um, Teddy Lupin, we got a little bit on him. Um, Teddy was raised by Andromeda. However, unlike Neville, who was also raised by his grandmother, Teddy had his godfather Harry and all his fr- father's friends in the order to visit and stay with, as Harry alludes to by saying that Teddy should just move in already. That's like having the coolest um, extended family ever, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and as Rowling said during the Carnegie Hall chat, even though you don't see Teddy, I wanted to express in the epilogue that he gets an even better godfather than Harry had, because Sirius had his faults, I think we must admit. He was a risky guy to have as a godfather because Teddy gets someone who really has been there and Harry becomes a really great father figure for Teddy as well as his own children. So I thought that was a nice sentiment there. I really like Teddy's um, depiction in the epilogue and I think it kind of lends him to be that kind of cool teenager that we kind of imagine Sirius to have been. So you've got a really nice kind of godfatherish link there. Um, Because just from how the other kids are kind of talking about this going on they obviously look up to our teddy and they obviously kind of see him as kind of the really cool older teen figure that they're all aspiring to be 
So for just for Teddy to be in that position where he's got that kind of little fan club of kids just makes me go, aw, it's really cute. <laughs> I like that he sounds yeah. very much like Tonks. That makes me very happy. Yeah. That he's not just, I mean, I'm sure he has a lot of Remus in him, but I like that he kind of has that kind of brash little attitude like Tonks. I like that a lot. That he tells yeah. James to go away. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're busy. <laughs> Well, and uh, as actually these next two pieces of info reveal, he's kind of got a perfect balance of the two of them. As Rowling confirmed, he is a metamorphmagus like his mother. He is not a werewolf. Um, And um, uh, thanks to Twitter, during the tweet when Rowling confirmed that James had been sorted into Gryffindor, she also confirmed that uh, Teddy Lupin was uh, named Hufflepuff head boy this year. He will graduate from Hogwarts this summer. So, congratulations to Teddy. That was in 2015, to be clear. For- yes, in 2015, okay. he was named head boy. Yep. Uh, so. So, Teddy Lupin and that- I are the same age? No. That- Who or No, what? he'd be, then he'd, he'd be, be 17, from- yeah. Oh, no, Hogwarts, not college. Everyone, <laughs> 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 Dating opportunities, maybe? That's what I was confused. I was confused, yeah. <laughs> but um, there were a few gaps that are kind of alluded to by this chapter, but were filled in by rolling later because, as we mentioned, we had lots of questions. Um, so I kind of split them up into little sections here. First section, the Ministry of Magic, because everybody was wondering what happened to the political system of the wizarding world. As Rowling confirmed, Kingsley became permanent minister for magic. The Ministry of Magic was decorrupted with Kingsley at the helm, uh, the discrimination that was always latent there was eradicated. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, and others would, of course, play a significant part in the rebuilding of wizarding society through their future careers. You see, now that is wish fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> government doesn't work. Everybody helped, and yeah, everything was perfect. It's yeah. not, not that smooth, Sam. <laughs> and politics were great, and nobody complained about anything. If Even with people with the best intentions up at the top, it doesn't yeah, happen that easily. Only. Kingsley would have wanted Ron, Neville, Harry, and they would have all gone and they would have all done the job. And I think that they would have been that would have been a good thing for them, too, because to go through that battle and then be relegated to the sidelines, I think they would have felt a need to keep going and finish the job. So that would have been rounding up, really, the corrupt people who were doing a Lucius Malfoy and trying to pretend that they weren't really involved. So basically they were sent to kind of round up Death Eaters. And and I can see, I can see. Which is interesting considering that the Malfoys then were yeah. rounded up or yeah. brought to trial. <laughs> well, I guess, I think it was implied that they were brought to trial, but they were kind of yeah. given the slip because, oh, Harry probably testified. He was like, well, she did say <laughs> I was dead. So it's Lucius I know. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I think he should have sent his dad. I mean, yeah, Harry kind of does owe it all to Narcissa. Harry wouldn't be there if it wasn't for her, unfortunately. I can see after this point is when Neville and Ron leave being oars, you know, like after all this is over um, a couple years later. I can see that being the point where they're like, all right, yeah. we finished that chapter. It's time to move on. <laughs> can you imagine how terrible that is to round up these Death Eaters and if yeah. they have to sit in those trials? To just continually be reliving the Battle of Hogwarts That's true. over and over and over again. I don't blame mm-hmm. them. Cursed child. It'd be terrible. Yeah, definitely. Well, and uh, uh, another thing that's changed about the justice system, Azkaban no Hallelujah. longer uses Dementors. Kingsley would see to that. The use, 
The use of Dementors was always a mark of the underlying corruption of the Ministry, as Dumbledore constantly maintained. Rowling also confirmed that Dementors will never completely disappear, but that with more happiness in the world, they do decrease in numbers, and that Muggles did in fact start noticing that things were a lot sunnier after two, after 1998, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Rosie, can you confirm? Um, well, it's currently raining, so... <laughs> I was going to say. False. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like two days away from may and we've had snow that oh my never gosh happens. so there's definitely dimensions around at the moment i heard that this yeah morning. i think it's the political system at the moment there's, there's something bad going on yeah that's weird because that usually yeah. happens here and we haven't gotten that so i don't know what happened yeah. sorry and a <laughs> Uh, as to the fate of um, a very prominent individual who everybody wanted to know the end of, <laughs> with the fall of Lord Voldemort, Dolores Umbridge was put on trial for her enthusiastic cooperation with his regime and convicted of the torture, imprisonment, and deaths of several people. Some of the innocent muggle-born she sentenced to Azkaban did not That's survive so sad. their yeah. ordeal. Aww. Yeah. So, so she's currently in jail? I hope so. Yes, she is currently in jail. So, but, um, and that was first confirmed by Bloomsbury, the Bloomsbury chat and later elaborated on by Pottermore in Umbridge's section. Uh, over at Hogwarts, things were, there's quite a bit going on over there. As we already established, Harry and Ron didn't go back. Hermione did, which Rowling first confirmed on Pottercast. The, now on the Today Show, when she was interviewed by Meredith Vieira, Rowling answered, somebody asked, Meredith actually asked, who was the headmaster? She responded, sorry, Caleb, the headmaster would be someone new. McGonagall was really getting on a bit, so someone completely... I mean, I'm totally okay with this, Um, because, well, yeah, like, she... (laughs) Yeah, girl needs, like, a beach quickly, but... (laughs) So, like, she, she, like, she went through a lot. If you, like, sit and think, like, how much she went through, like, she had to, like, she endured um, Dumbledore's lifespan, well, like, not living as long as she got six charms to the chest in book five or six or whatever it was yeah so she's yeah she's been the Mm -hmm. girl's been through a lot so and i think at that i think it would have been hard for her to take up that mantle um just because she had worked in tandem with dumbledore for so long so i think these last couple of years for her were really just seeing as much through as she could to give like harry the chance to get it done and now I think it's, she just sees changing of the guard as appropriate and to get out of there. And I think I, th- I think her place, too, is to be the person who knows the school so well and can help kind of the next generation of, of headmaster and students and teachers and all of that kind of acclimate to the future as well. So, Yeah, she'd be a great transitionary sure. period yeah. mm-hmm. headmaster. Mm-hmm. So. And I think, like, she also, she was responsible, really, for keeping the children as safe as she could under the reign of the Caros and Snape and everything. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that was, like, her priority. I think the the primary reason for being there was just to make sure that Hogwarts still stood, the kids were safe. And then, you know, now that that's off the table, she, you know, she had to, didn't she, like, actually fight Voldemort yeah. herself at some point mm-hmm. during the battle? Yeah. So, yep. yeah, I agree. She needs a break. And... She seems like the quiet life kind of person, you know. Yes. Minus all the Harry Potter junk. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Not her fault that Harry Potter right, went exactly. to exactly. Well, and along with that, we do have at least confirmation that she was headmistress through 2008 because she was still headmistress when she authorized um, Hermione to publish uh, Dumbledore's notes with Tales of Beetle the Bard. Um 
And uh, as is a very popular joke that's been thrown around on Tumblr, she looked down one day on the new students list, saw James <laughs> Sirius Potter and said, F this and retired. <laughs> I love that so that's, that, <laughs> that's probably the most popular explanation of when and why McGonagall left. Um, funnily enough, Winky is still at Hogwarts and she was one of the oncoming house elves who attacked the Death Eaters in the final battle. And as far as her uh, addiction to butterbeer, according to Rowling, she's dried out a bit now. (laughs) So Winky's still doing things in the kitchen with a little more coherency. So, uh, Harry would ensure as far as Snape goes that Snape's heroism was known. Of course, that would not stop Rita Skeeter from writing the book Snape, Scoundrel or Saint. Um, she also noted, I know Harry would have insisted that Snape's portrait was on the headmaster's wall right beside Dumbledore's. As for whether Harry would go back to talk to him, I think I'm not sure he would have done. So that's that's Snape. He at least gets his place on the wall. So on the topic of Snape, uh, the Slytherin house as a whole, Rowling noted, Slytherin has become diluted. It is no longer the pure-blood bastion it once was. Nevertheless, its dark reputation lingers. Hence, Albus Potter's fears. Do you guys feel that that could have realistically happened? And I know you guys, we were questioning Uh, before, too, like, how... Well, I know we were... There was the question raised about Slytherin being ostracized by the other houses and maybe how it kind of came back to the other houses. Um, But I know we, we kind of were... Curious about this, especially because of the idea that did the Slytherins come back during the battle? Was it just Slughorn? What are some thoughts on the Slytherins here and their final bow? I mean, I think it's realistic that it got diluted just on the technical difficulty of maintaining a pure blood house of that size, like or those that pure blood ideology, like it that there's just less and less pure bloods and people with that sort of thing and. I think, yeah, after seeing all those pure blood ideology fall so drastically and all these people die and get put in jail, I would hope that some children that, that were able to form their own opinions of the world maybe would have changed their ideologies. And just like Malfoy raised his kids slightly less extreme, that mm-hmm. continued yeah. with everyone else's. And maybe some of the Death Eater kids kind of just never went back. They were like, ah, I can't go back there. That was terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So so that could help, too. I wonder if it's... I almost equate it to how Hufflepuff is seen at the beginning of this series, where people think it's one way, but it's really not, and it just kind of has that reputation. So maybe it it still has that dark reputation, and that's why um, Al is a little hesitant, but... If you think about all the stories that Albus would have heard as well, like growing up, Mm. he would have heard the stories of his dad at school and Ron at school and the fights against the Slytherins that they had. You know, you're going to have that reputation lingering for a little while, even if it's changing at the actual school itself. It's also just that, like, Harry's generation of being at Hogwarts were the children of Death Eaters. Yeah. And that's not going to be the case moving forward because the Death Eaters themselves are going to be like, moving past the age of having school-age children. Yeah. Especially when people like Draco's son, Scorpius, have, we've been told, will be a bit tamer and a bit um, more liberal than their parents were, so. Yeah. Yeah. There's hope for the future. Cursed child. 
<laughs> well, and as we and uh, lightening things, just as Slytherins kind of lightened up a bit, the jinx on the Defense Against the Dark Arts position has officially been lifted at last. So, Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers can stay for more than one term now. I like the idea that that's how that's how Dumbledore mm-hmm. knew that um, Voldemort would always come back because that curse was still on that position, and the jinx would <laughs> yeah. die when. Voldemort died, so Voldemort it, this died. is why it's been lifted, though. So, All right. so that's gone. Uh, Ferenz was welcomed back. The rest of the centaur herd was forced to acknowledge that Ferenz's pro-human learnings were not shameful, but honorable. So he got, he got to go back to the forest, which I guess uh, also assumes that Trelawney got her post back as as the only divination teacher <laughs> in Hogwarts. <laughs> um, if, I'm sure McGonagall was at least soft enough to keep her on staff regardless of their differences maybe that's what like Pavardi uh, Patil does or something Ooh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Oh, that's yeah. nice well yes Par- Parvati and Lavender and Seamus and Dean are some of many in the group who do still do not have a definitive story pinned to them of what happened to them afterwards there was or some a status about- if they're even alive lavender became a little tied up with things especially when pottermore went with the movie canon that she died and then they backtracked on it and we'll discuss that that in the film episode i think yeah yep her fate is unknown so poor lavender who knows but i I think a lot of people actually would really like to know the answer to that one Mm -hmm. um did so hagrid Somebody asked Hagrid if he uh, somebody asked rolling if hagrid got married and had children she said (laughs) No. <laughs> Realistically, Hagrid's pool of potential girlfriends is extremely limited because with the giants killing each other off, the number of giantesses around is infinitesimal. And he met one of the only, and I'm afraid she thought he was kind of cute, but she was a little more, how should I put it, sophisticated than Hagrid. So no, bless him. <laughs> but as we know from this chapter, Hagrid is still the gamekeeper at Hogwarts. And he invites thing. them to tea on the first Friday. <laughs> do you think he's still teaching? Do you think he got back to teaching care of magical creatures or mm-hmm. so- somebody else take a yeah, back? Yeah, I think so. I don't. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I feel like he needs something to look forward to when he wakes up in the morning. Considering the history of at least Kettleburn, we know that the Care of Magical Creatures teacher is kind of just prone to being a little foolhardy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Aberforth is still there at the Hogshead playing with his goats. Make of that what you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's Aberforth. <laughs> um, and um, interestingly, the Resurrection Stone um is uh has remained on the hogwarts grounds but as rowling said i imagine that the resurrection stone was squashed into the ground by a centaur's hoof as the centaurs dashed to the aid of the hogwarts fighters and thereafter became buried so no more of that that's that's beautiful actually that actually is really nice i forgot about that yeah, I like that ending for the Resurrection Stone. I think mm-hmm, that's too. a perfect ending for it. Um, in the Quidditch world, Crumb did find love, though he had to go back to his native Bulgaria to do so. And, of course, as we know from the big Quidditch World Cup in 2014, he originally retired in 2002. He returned to and won the Quidditch World Cup for Bulgaria in 2014. How convenient. Yes, wasn't it, though? And as we also know, Dumbledore's army was all there to see him through that, including Harry and his family, where they Mm -hmm. all reunited at the 2014 Quidditch World Cup. Um, Somebody also asked, 
if the Chudley Cannons ever won the Quidditch <laughs> World Cup. Rowling's response was, bless the Chudley Cannons. Perhaps they'll win the Quidditch World Cup, but they need to replace the entire team and down several cauldrons of Felix Felicis. So, no. Also, they'd need to become a national team rather than a... Yeah, yeah. this is like a Champions League V. um, They'll win, like, the British Quidditch Cup. Yeah. (laughs) And even then, they won't. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) A few more details about some other characters. Within the Weasley family, uh, Mm -hmm. sadly, this was the sad one. I don't think that George would ever get over losing Fred, which makes me feel so sad. However... He names his first child and son Fred, and he goes on to have a very successful career, helped by good old Ron. Um, as we know, uh, George marries Angelina Johnson, who was previously dating Fred at one point. Uh, they have oh, two children, God. Fred and what? Roxanne. <laughs> so, I'm just uh, so against it. <laughs> That's like the one canon thing I just can't wrap my head around. Just to, I mean, whatever. I have, I'm too invested in this in my head above anything else in the whole series. And unfortunately, I just think that this was just how matching up people against the wall and being like, oh, George talked to her at one point during school. Like, you know, there was just, it just was silly. I think okay, just like, me, because, oh yeah, he dated, she, he like kind of dated Fred and she kind of dated okay. Fred. Erase that. So George married Laura Riley. Yes, he did. And they, <laughs> We're really two happy. Children, Fred and Laura the second and it was yes thanks for asking you're welcome angelina did also go to uh care for her for her ailing father in 2014 uh charlie weasley remains single ladies hey. <laughs> you know what's what i love about charlie asexual charlie weasley yeah, and that's what I was just going to say. There's um, there's an awesome article that one of our staff members, Shannon, wrote on MuggleNet. Because um, Charlie has very much become the kind of um, fictional, I don't want to say poster child, but I guess poster child for asexual awareness yep. um, in the fandom community. And I think it's amazing. So if you guys mm-hmm. have any interest in that, I'll definitely go check out her article. Um, it's called Protect Charlie Weasley at All Costs. It's on MuggleNet. So well, it's really and, good. Uh, as it kind of lines up, Rowling did say that Charlie was just simply more interested in his dragons than he was with people. As so, we should. Dragons are so much more interesting. <laughs> dragons are awesome. <laughs> um, the uh, the love goods. Uh, we did get a, uh, quite a bit of information on Luna. As Rowling said on the Bloomsbury chat, Luna became a very famous wizarding naturalist who discovered and classified many new species of animals. Though, alas... She never did find a Crumplehorn Snorkak and had finally to accept that her father might have made that one up. (laughs) She ended up marrying, rather later than Harry and company, a fellow naturalist and grandson of the great Snoot Scamander, and of course that is the uh, swarmy Rolf Scamander, as Rita put it. Um, They have two children together, Lorcan and Lysander, very Shakespearean names. Um, And... uh, her father, Xenophilius, is still doing the Quibbler. The Quibbler, according to Rowling, is doing pretty well, actually. It has returned to its usual condition of advanced lunacy and is appreciated <laughs> for its unintentional humor. Um, 
And just a few miscellaneous points, as was pointed out earlier, Rita is still doing her thing. Um, she has had a curse recently placed on her in 2014 to the solar plexus, as Ginny put it. Um, Ginny was the committer of that curse, of course. But uh, Rita did publish an untitled, uh, uh, as far as we know, biography of Harry. Uh, we don't know the title of that one. The um, he, She also did one for Snape, Scoundrel or Saint. And uh, one about Dumbledore's army called Dumbledore's Army, the Dark Side of the D-Mob, um, which was published on July 31st, 2014, available at all Flourish and Blots locations. Uh, somebody asked about, this was a fun one, somebody asked about what happened to Gilderoy Lockhart. Rowling confirmed he will never recover, nor would I want him to. He's happy where he is, and I'm happier <laughs> without him. <laughs> Which is like such a personal dig to the guy like, no. who knows that he's yeah. Lockhart. He's like, damn it. <laughs> who, as she said, doesn't know he's Lockhart because he's probably going around telling people that he inspired them. <laughs> right, so exactly. no hurt feelings anyway. <laughs> um, and last little fun tidbit here. Marietta Edgecombe's pimply formation faded eventually, but it did leave a few scars. As Rowling put it, I loathe a traitor. <laughs> So here, here. even yeah. even the best acne <laughs> medicine can't can't cure poor Marietta Edgecombe. Um, but uh, we get to the end, the end moment, which is pretty much the the, the core of this epilogue. And of course, uh, ever so beautifully, Harry leans down to talk one on one with Albus Severus and reveal that during Albus Albus's concerns about being sorted into Slytherin that. He does, in fact, have a choice, and the narration reveals that uh, uh, Harry um, has never told his children that he was given the option by the Sorting Hat. Um, so that's a nice little little tidbit he gets to share with just Albus. Um, interestingly, though, so of course, many have wondered where Albus ended up, and we'll get to that in a minute with Chris Child, but... Um, I did notice this fun tidbit in the in Rita Skeeter's article during the Quidditch World Cup where she said, The Potter family have been given prime places in the front row. All are wearing the red of Bulgaria except middle child Albus who is sporting Brazilian green. And I that didn't sells know. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the allegiances have been laid. I Man. just, I didn't. I didn't know if that was meant to be just a fun dig at us, the readers, or Guess if it was actually one. a hint. Or I hope not. I, I think it would be awesome if he was sorted into no, Slytherin. No, I don't. Be I want him to be awesome. like a Hufflepuff or something. Like <laughs> he's he's gunning for Gryffindor. He doesn't want Slytherin. The sorting's out of Hufflepuff. Like, just what? To, to ask a silly question because I should know this. It hasn't been confirmed which house he's no. in, right? It has no, not. correct. It's That's going to be in Curse Child. Curse Child. But it just it, 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 it has been. You guys can't see this, but I'm doing this like hand motion with that. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't sorry. do hand motion. <laughs> Curse Child. <laughs> sorry, Caleb. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> No, I didn't have anything um, else. I was just saying it's confirmed. This is it. Like this is your confirmation no. right here. Yeah. Uh, I, did, I couldn't help but wonder if this wasn't meant to be some kind of at least fun little hint from Rowling because it, it seems so blunt. So. Yeah. Yeah. Why else? Know. Why else is he supporting Brazil? Uh, I don't like the it. idea that the whole play is going to be about Albus having middle child syndrome. Like it's just going to be him going. <laughs> yeah. You named me after these stupid professors, and you guys are just. I'm going to do the opposite of whatever you tell when me. But I could have been Arthur Albus. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very likely. I think it's very likely that I'll be Slytherin because that'll give 
she's always been criticized for not having them as a house enough and like getting into it whatever and giving it diversity that oh kind of allison you're such a purist (laughs) i know i know i I do agree laura i think it would be awesome if he was in slytherin um we know everything there is to know about it would add so many layers to the character and the struggle i mean think about the struggle that albus Mm -hmm. would have if he was a slytherin coming from uh, a gryffindor family family yeah what if he's a raven and also like i want to see it and also like his father his father like killed the one of the biggest slytherins in recent history so i don't know i just think it would be really dope Oh. All we know about the play is that now. he's struggling with the legacy of his father, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah well, that would be one way yep. to struggle with it. Sure, 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 sure. Well, and uh, interestingly, Rowling, um, and for a long time, we, the readers, believed that the last word of Deathly Hallows was going to be Scar. Mm. That was not the case. And Rowling did reveal during the Today Show chat with Meredith Vieira that for a long, long time, the last line was something like, only those he loved could see the lightning scar. And that was a reference to the fact that Harry was flanked by his loved ones. So what do we prefer? That or all as well? All as well. All as well. All as well, well, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The other one's way too sentimental and um, just a little hokey. And the whole problem with the style of the epilogue was that it was the style of Philosopher's Stone in Chamber of Secrets. It wasn't the style of the later books. So... But I think that's lovely because I think it's it's indicating that we're starting a new story. We're starting Harry's kid's story. And so we're going to go yeah, back to that kind of tone. But as an end, which, it didn't work. Know, but that's like also that. what makes it a frustrating yeah. epilogue yeah. as not a conclusion, <laughs> but a beginning. Right. Because we don't want the start of his kid's story. We want the end of Harry's story. And that's Harry's the problem story. when you well, write got the that, end of Harry's that story. chapter and keep it locked in a safe for so long. And like, sure, she made some changes, but I, I still don't think she, she changed it and adapted it quite as much as it needed. Tonally, yeah. it needed to shift just a dial or so. Like, not you could still be happy yeah. and all this, but it was, it was philosopher. Too squeaky, done. squeaky clean. I said philosopher. Oh, it needed I like the, it. the wrinkles on his forehead that the film has. <laughs> well, and, and of course, <laughs> as, as we know, the uh, the line, of course, the final line is always well, but we must ask. Or is it dun dun dun? Because coming right around the corner, curse Harry Potter and the cursed child. Which, Hearts which one wait. and two? Let's talk about the name first off, because dumb. Yeah, like Harry Potter dumb. and the cursed child. That across the board. Like, uh, does it have? Does it have? D- no, just name it something different. Because I think that's part of the problem. Why people are calling it the eighth book and why they yeah. think it's an eighth book is because the naming convention is the same. It's yeah. so dumb, and I hate it. I don't mind the story. I don't want it to be called or coined or even related to the seven novels in any yeah. way, shape, or form. So the fact they're calling it the eighth book. Really bothers me. Yeah. I think we just have to wait and see. It, it, I think it will depend on how much of Harry we get. If it is following Albus, then it shouldn't be called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. If it is following Harry exactly. and does have at least, well, let's say at least half the play where it is actually following Harry's life and his story, then that makes it a Harry Potter story. And therefore it can't be Harry Potter and the well, Cursed Child. Well, it would seem based... 
based on the summary that we've gotten, which I'll read here, it seems like, yeah. Rosie, you're on the right track because uh, the play appears to be about kind of both of their lives intertwining. And as the summary reads, and listeners, you can go check out this as well as more information about Cursed Child on the play's official website. Um, it was always difficult being Harry Potter, and it isn't much easier now that he is an overworked employee of the Ministry of Magic, a husband, and father of three school-aged children. While Harry grapples with a past that refuses to stay where it belongs, his youngest son, Albus, must struggle with the weight of a family legacy he never wanted. As past and present fuse ominously, both father and son learn the uncomfortable truth. Sometimes, darkness comes from unexpected places. Albus is a Horcrux! Dun, no. dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh That's God. interesting because it totally kind of flips that, uh, which I believe, is it a book quote or a movie quote? I know it's a movie quote. I just don't know if it comes from the book. The What Albus like says in, in one of his like opening Hogwarts school speeches, he was like, oh, like only if one remembers to turn on the light. Like it's, yeah. you know, that... Mm that like light and where lightness yeah. and happiness can come from that that's i almost the first time i read it that's where my mind went automatically mm. because i'm so used to that sort of uh idea that then i just read it. oh he may said darkness that sounds worse <laughs> um yeah i i wonder though i wonder though how much of this is what we're actually gonna get i wonder how much of this is they're trying to market it in a certain way and so they're marketing it more that it's going to be about harry but I personally well, really hope it's going to be about, it's going to focus on from Al. From looking at the cast, like, you would think that it has it to has be... It has everyone. <laughs> there has to be enough in there for those actors to be needed in the roles that they've been given. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. And there are There is a cast of yeah. 42 people. And the, the, gen, the age range is interesting. Also, if you watch the most recent um, release video from the behind the scenes when Joe visited yeah. the production yeah, of rehearsal, there's a scene. If you watch it very closely, there's a scene where people are dancing with briefcases. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. Kind of so they're definitely in the Ministry of Magic because why would they have briefcases? Wait, so it's I'll a music briefcase. I, I thought they were trunks. Not, I thought they were going to Hogwarts. Yeah. I thought uh, they were Hogwarts students getting ready to go to Hogwarts. That's what wait, it looks wait, like are you going to gonna lift a trunk up and over to your head? To put it on a trunk. Well, okay, maybe yeah. if you're carrying like a suitcase and a trunk, yeah. I kind of thought no. that the way that... And if the scene we're talking... You'll have to watch the, <gasps> the scene, listeners, and decide for yourself. But I kind of thought that that was meant to evoke like the, the students getting ready to go to Hogwarts. And that maybe to me... To me, the, the vision suggested that this is a very artistic vision. Yeah. that they're looking to do for for Cursed it, Child. It, it's adults swinging the briefcases, guys. Are it's you not sure? Kids. I am I'm I thought it staring was kids. at it. I'm staring at it right now. It's, it's throwing it's spells adults. and things around as well though. They looked like there was some fighting going on. I and it was between Ron and Hermione. Yeah, because what? Noma <laughs> is there. Ron and, and Hermione were like dueling each other. I don't know. No, I thought they were awkward. just dancing. Well they had like Cursed Child's not a musical guys. Like, there won't be that much dancing involved. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it though is it a musical no they you see them like dueling like wand dueling yeah. or something but they're like practicing and it's the actress that's playing hermione and the actor that's playing ron so everyone was like oh my god they're fighting like like in their marriage and i'm like i'm they sure they're just not. been learning kind of one choreography yeah. yeah we'll see well and that's just it they're you know as we know uh ron harry hermione Malfoy, uh, many of these characters are going to make appearances in Cursed Child, and it would it would seem, you know, we're going to get some pretty um, 
substantial tidbits about things that have happened to them since yeah. the 19 years later, because this apparently does pick up after yeah. the 19 years later epilogue. Um, so who knows, but, uh, I'll let you all know in two months, <laughs> <laughs> two months from the but, day this episode releases. <laughs> yeah. That is adults carrying briefcases. Sorry. It's adults. <laughs> So, well, okay, well, and I mean, it would make sense if it was the ministry, because yeah. Harry works. And he's yeah. an overworked ministry so official, that's what we've been told. As they've, yes, put Well, I only ever am able to see plays, like, 20 years after they've first been on <laughs> So, when we come for our 50th year reunion, I'll let you know what I thought about it. <laughs> yeah, there there is know. also a fireplace in the background, if you zoom in. Okay, oh. right, Kat. Maybe I need to watch that again. <laughs> but they could just be dealing with like stage sets. Things aren't set yet. They're probably building and rearranging and Maybe, well, but there's and... A, there's also pillars and stuff there too. Oh my god, it's yeah. ministry we just be building. <laughs> As we were talking about there there is going to be a release of both the rehearsal script as well as the definitive post rehearsal so script. That's really so, so dumb. we will so if you're if you're complaining about canon, don't because there is no canon for this play. <laughs> Um, it just doesn't possibly exist. I do love the idea that it's getting loads of people to buy scripts, though. And, you know, people own yeah. probably some Shakespeare's, they may own one or two plays that they might have studied at school, but for people to actually sit down and read a script is going to be quite an interesting new thing. Yeah. There's going to be so much bitching. Yeah. So much! Not to say anything of the script that they're now also releasing. Screenplay. About. Oh, we don't, we don't about talk about that. We do not talk about that because that's ridiculous. As long as they don't create a novelization of Cursed Child, I'm happy. You guys are super negative. I'm excited about all of these things. <laughs> I just, the screenplay is just one step too far for me. Like, it's just one, st- it's just like, no, that feels too much like milking, not, milking for profit. Seems, everything seems fine, except the only thing I can complain about is that this rough draft script being released before the regular one seems a bit... Yeah, it's a little weird. Because <laughs> then I'm just going to panic of which one do I want to read, like, and which one, and yes, can, and all that stuff, so... Well, she she conquered the world of books, and now Rowling has moved on to the stage and the screen. She's she's making sure that she pulls her audience into every medium of entertainment to look at more critically, I guess, is, is her mission. Um, but I... I feel that the only the only proper way to end this is just just to read the last little bit, right? Because yeah. I, what else what else could yeah. you do? Albus jumped into the carriage and Ginny closed the door behind him. Students were hanging from the windows nearest them. A great number of faces, both on the train and off, seemed to be turned toward Harry. Why are they all staring? demanded Albus as he and Rose craned around to look at the other students. Oh, don't let it worry you, said Ron. It's me. I'm extremely famous. <laughs> Albus, Rose, Hugo and Lily laughed. The train began to move, and Harry walked alongside it, watching his son's thin face, already ablaze with excitement. Harry kept smiling and waving, even though it was like a little bereavement watching his son glide away from him. The last trace of steam evaporated in the autumn air, the train rounded a corner. Harry's hand was still raised in farewell. He'll be all right, murmured Ginny. As Harry looked at her, he lowered his hand absent-mindedly and touched the lightning scar on his forehead. I know he will. The scar had not pained Harry for nineteen years. All was well.
I have so many feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just appreciate like how far we have come since we started these books as well? We officially we did finished it. Finished yeah. this last yeah. book, and just think about how when we started this reread. <laughs> There was no Fantastic Beasts movies. There were no plays being talked about. That Pottermore wasn't even a thing. And now we've had all of this since it started. And we've got all of this wealth of information that we've used for over the last hour to fill in this epilogue. Um, and we've got all of this stuff that just has happened. Like, Harry Potter may have been published years ago now. It may have been over officially for a very long time. But it's not been over, and it's not over, and there is still the fandom out there. There's still people like us and like you guys are listening who love this as much as it should be loved. And thank you guys for joining us on this beautiful journey that has made us all believe that all is well. It's real for us. Yeah. It is very real for say. us. <laughs> there you are, listeners. We, we close the book on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Wow. Well. So I guess we have one more podcast question of the week to put out there, our very last one, since it's going away with the new format of the show. So this is kind of a this is a this is a big moment. Lots of lots of lasts today. So so I guess let's jump into it. Here it is. Um, So we see that in this chapter that Harry has not shared his experience with the sorting at whether, you know, how it was going to put him into Slytherin. He chose Gryffindor with any of his children. So we're wondering how much of their days at Hogwarts and the fight with Lord Voldemort do or did Harry, Ron, and Hermione share with their children? And are there any specific details that they keep from them? And also, is Harry a secret-keeping Dumbledore for the next generation? And try to really focus on the years between the last chapter and the epilogue and not going into the future. We really want to talk about kind of that time of them growing up. So you know what to do for this very last podcast question of the week. Go over to alohamora.mugglenet.com, send us an audio boom, write a comment, and you could hear yourself on the book recap episode, which, wow, that will be the very last podcast question of the week responses it's kind of exciting there you go and we'll don't worry listeners we'll have plenty of time to talk about cursed child we will that, that'll, yeah that'll come up later that'll Indeed. probably be its own episode <laughs> probably or maybe a two-part episode because oh, no. one, part two. there we go <laughs> you have to pay for it twice. four parts yeah <laughs> two parts for each part yeah. <laughs> um but we want to make sure and thank Laura for returning to us for this episode. Aww. Laura, thank you so much for coming back and contributing all of your amazing Aww, thoughts thank for you. us. It was, like I said, so grateful that I was able to be a part of this. And it feels really surreal just thinking, um, even though it has been, I guess, like in the grand scheme of things, a pretty short amount of time. It's been a big formative chunk of my life. And yeah, I'm just really happy that to send you guys off. Even though you're still continuing, but well, it, in the sense of what we <laughs> what we started um, mm-hmm. is finishing, and that's a really big deal. And I'm glad that we saw it through, and that people still listen to it. <laughs> if it's any consolation, it feels like you never Aww, left today. So. It's true. Very, yeah. very nice having you on. So thank you, Laura. Thank you. And of course, this does mean that it is the end of these chapter by chapter episodes. We've got a few little books that we're going to explore um, in our new format. 
But that doesn't mean it's the end of you guys being on the show. Um, the details of our post Hallows plans have been released. You can go and check them out on our site. Um, and the topic submit page, as we said earlier, is on the main site. So do go and suggest your new topics. We really want you guys to be on these episodes to discuss them with us. There's so much detail and so many theories and so many ideas that you want to explore. So come and explore them with us. All you need is that set of Apple headphones or whatever kind of microphone recording equipment that you've got. No fancy equipment needed. Just a laptop will do and a pair of headphones. Come and join in. And make sure to keep up with us on all of our social media and everything else. Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, Instagram AlohomoraMN, our main website, of course, AlohomoraMugglenet.com, where you can also download our ringtones for free. And you can send an audio boom for free on AlohomoraMugglenet.com. Just try to keep it under 60 seconds so we can use it for the show. And we just want to remind you one more time that we are on Patreon. So head on over there to check it out at patreon.com slash alohomora or on our website, alohomora.mongolnet.com, up at the top on our Patreon. You can sponsor us for as low as a dollar a month. And we are so grateful to everyone who sponsors us. You guys are amazing and keeping us going. That's why we're still here. (laughs) And with that, I guess it's time for us to board the Hogwarts Express at the end of this story. All is well. I'm Allison Sigurd. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 188 of Alohomora. Don't forget to open the Dumbledore. I'm waving. You can't see it. I'm waving bye to the kids. <laughs> you can't see We're it. We're all waving. <laughs> I'm waving. Bye. Oh. <laughs> That's, oh, we're done. That's it. Yay. I can't Give believe ourselves it. a round we're of done. applause. Yay. gosh a few nights ago we had this huge this huge thunderstorm and it woke me up at like three o'clock in the morning by this huge boom that just shook the entire apartment complex and you know in albuquerque when we'd have a like a thunder and lightning storm i would i would always like if i did wake up i would enjoy the sound of the rain and i would even open the window and look at the lightning and be like oh how pretty but here like the thunder boomed and i it 
shot me straight out of bed. And then I was going to look out the window, but the lightning was so bright that I was like, oh my God, it's just outside the window. If I open it up, it'll know I'm in here. And I just, I, I, I haven't felt that way about a storm since like when I was a little kid and my parent, like I'd run into my parents' bed. I was just like, this storm is insane. This is not magical and majestical at all. Welcome to Texas <laughs> storm. Yeah, don't Couldn't move get to, to New Jersey. Early. <laughs> yep, yeah, you're, everything is indeed bigger in Texas. The advertisements are bigger. So, <laughs> <but>. Six beautiful <laughs> voices. Yeah, the problem Crazy. is when you, when like, I, that's the thing is I'm reuniting with you guys as well, so I just want to like hear about everyone's lives. And go right the <laughs> Who and cares about Harry Some and guy in some glasses to talk about. So. <laughs> <laughs> the fans have been saying they like the two-hour episodes. We're just going to have to do like, 15 minutes of chat about the chapter and then two hours about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, the after show be, will be long this week as usual. So it's yeah, that could be like lovely bonus content as we'll we'll just update the listeners on our lives or something. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> just like you know, like at the end of shows where it like goes to a freeze frame and the credits come up of like this <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So and so did this. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, 